6: Georgia Georgia
2: The whole day through. Two Georgia police deputies have lost their jobs as a result of racist and sexist Facebook messages that appear to indicate a pattern of targeting African-American drivers while on the job. Uh, We don't have the exact uh, uh, cutouts from Facebook, but we'd have some of the most incriminating uh, messages leaked from an internal investigation. So here's one. I have a dream is next to an image of MLK Jr. saying, I have a dream that one day my people will not act like animals. That's one of the deputies, uh, Guy uh, Owens, the other deputy, responded, LOL, that'll never happen. So they're making it pretty obvious to see where their bias lies there. Owens in another post said, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, might not get too many nigs, which is uncomfortable to even read from a quotation. Uh, Geithner responded, "I hope we get a few, but and this was crossed out. If we don't, I think fuck it. If we don't, Mm -hmm. and so they go out there hoping every day that they're able to get African-American drivers that they can book for whatever nonsense reason. Uh, But unfortunately, the weather might be against them in this particular case, which uh, to a racist is is an annoying uh, turn of events. So Um, to me, the most important
7: part of this revelation, and you know, the racist cops in Georgia, it turns out, oh, shocking." um they found the two yeah uh is that they think let's go looking for in their words nigs right and then they go and arrest people or they pull them over they look for stuff they harass them until they arrest enough people and then they come back and go you see that all the people we arrest are black we were right all along no you went going to harass black people and calling them animals AND THEN YOU CONFIRMED YOUR OWN RACIST ASSUMPTIONS BY ARRESTING THE PEOPLE YOU HAD ORIGINALLY TARGETED yeah. and, AND SO THAT'S THAT CIRCULAR REASONING but, BUT THEY DON'T GET IT AND EVERY DAY THESE PEOPLE WHO DO THIS THINK
2: YEAH YOU SEE THAT I KNEW IT LOOK AT THE JAILS IT'S FULL OF BLACK people. Yeah, now it turns out in this case, thankfully, it was actual law enforcement who turned them in. It's interesting how they discovered these posts. So the racist posts were discovered in July when a deputy was issued Owen's old computer, which he had left access to his Facebook account on. It's a bad idea when you're posting extremely racist memes and messages, uh, so Sheriff Stephen D. Jessup, who was involved in the investigation, uncovered that. He was quoted as saying, there was never any question of what I needed to do, and I did it. I do not tolerate that in my department, thankfully. Now, uh, Owens, uh, who now works as a police officer in Darien, yes, is still a police officer, declined to comment, and we can sort of understand why. But Guyther insisted just before he was fired, so Guyther was fired, Owens stepped down while the investigation was going on so that he could be hired in another... Uh, Precinct. Uh, said that the posts weren't serious and they weren't isolated incidents. It was just a joke. We all do it. Although an internal investigation showed that he was unable to provide any credi- credible evidence that other deputies engaged in similar behavior, probably because they had uh, put up passwords on their Facebook and so they didn't have access to them. So thankfully, those two men one was fired, uh, one stepped down. But the reason uh, that so JR uh, pitched this story, and the reason why it's so uh, it's so, so timely is that we just had a vice presidential debate. Where they talked about implicit bias in police, and uh, Mike Pence would have you believe, no, of course, no human, certainly no police officer, has any sort of implicit bias against any race. And then the next day, we find out, yes, police officers were forced to step down or were fired as a result of racial targeting of one particular racial minority. Talk about the systematic
8: nature, because they're talking about the systematic nature of being a bias in police stations. Just in this story right now. HE left his computer open and wide open and doing these things and to where it was discovered that showed how comfortable he was leaving it if somebody's doing scandalous things you don't want to get caught doing yeah. it you probably have passwords on your things or you make sure you erase that or take that away people are like very particular about making sure they're not caught about things but he's open because nobody's gonna bother about it uh, number two the other guy still works as a cop as we mentioned so it doesn't matter you can get another job somewhere else I can keep being a racist um, the guy who fired him who found it he had to explain I saw it and I had to make has to Imagine the world we're living in because he has to say, I, I, I saw it, and yes, I was going to fire him. Even in his own mind and doing the right thing, he's telling everybody, you know, I'm not going to let him stay on here. Because yeah. that's what we do, we let them stay on. It's a normal, it's a normal action. Did you go, oh, OK, we'll give him some administrative leave, he'll stay on, put him on, on parking meters. I know that's the cliche <laughs> thing to say, but put him on parking <laughs> meters for a week, and he's back in. Cause that's the way they normally do it yeah. it's like it's open in our face that they just let this stuff usually go
7: yeah yeah I do want to give credit to Sheriff uh, Stephen Jessup as uh, John was explaining he had one more quote he said there's no joke about something like that period it's total racism so if you keep if you're in the
2: camp of look you got to trust the cops well good trust sheriff jessup he says it's total racism yeah he said it made him want to vomit when he saw the messages
7: yeah and so a great credit to him for pointing it out you can't have these guys go out every single day looking for as they say nigs to bother to harass because look if, if you're an actual police officer who just wanted to do your job without any bias you would go out and see okay who's committing the crimes they come in with a preconceived notion whether you're committing crimes or not I'm going to look for black people yeah. And by the way, if you're committing crimes and you're not black, I'm not even looking for you. Okay, that's a whole nother problem.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly not if it's raining.
7: Yeah, and, and look, they say, hey, look, everybody did it. That might be true. That might be true. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so apparently Sheriff Jessup doesn't do it, at least he doesn't do it in open. So God bless his heart. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and once you at least fire one of those guys and ANOTHER one resigns, it sends a message well, maybe a lot of you do it, but you ought to think twice. Because that's not the right way to do policing. You're supposed to serve the whole community. I said Georgia,
6: oh Georgia, no peace I find, just an old sweet song,
9: keeps Georgia on my mind. Well, Forsyth County Schools' a paraprofessional is out of a job this evening over comments that she made on social media. Jane Allen was a paraprofessional at Chastity Elementary School in Gainesville. She was fired after she posted negative and racially charged comments on Facebook about First Lady Michelle Obama, about immigrants and children with complex names. Forsyth County Schools say that they were made aware of the posts on Friday and then fired Allen today. A statement from the school district reads, in part, quote, racism and discrimination are not tolerated in our school district. We are committed to ongoing staff training on the acceptance of all individuals.
6: What are you doing here, nigga?
10: I'm not going to ask you again.
6: Young man, I've had a long day.
11: I'm tired. But I'm not tired enough to ever let nobody call me that word.
12: You see a nigga standing in front of
13: you? Dan Phillip, thank you for joining me.
12: Yeah, thank you.
13: What is Nigger Rock? Describe it. Where is it and why is it called that?
12: Uh, it is in, in St. amand This is about, um, you know, an hour and a few minutes from Montreal. It used to be um, uh, a slave area where they had slaves um, mostly from the United States who, who were escaping uh, uh, the civil war and etc so
13: they were former slaves
12: they well when when they came to satama they were also slaves because they came over there with their masters who continued the slave um, mentality of the black community and there is a place they call nigarok that black people who died um were buried there um, uh, in a mass grave. Uh, it is the result of which they refer to this area as Nigger Rock, uh, as you know. In that uh, at that time, people from the black community, slaves, were treated as niggers, and um, this is the name that was used traditionally to define. Uh, people who were taken from Africa uh, into the Americas and elsewhere.
13: Many people in Canada are under the impression that there were no slaves in Canada, that slavery did not exist here.
12: Well, uh, history will tell us otherwise, and that is the reason why we want Nigger Rock to to be recognized, so that we can know the full history, uh, Quebec and Canada were involved in the in the slave trade, so we have two dimensions of history which must be explained uh, to the entire um, population. Those who came here um, through the rail railway, uh, on the ground railroad, and those who were brought here uh, as slaves, who were treated as slaves, and who continued to work and build this community and society as slaves. So this type of history must be known. The United Nations have already said it is necessary to give information to the entire population so that people would be able to know their history and understand where they come from and to participate and to be able to speak of their history like everyone else. It is not uh, appropriate for Canada to use uh, history to please one group of people and deny others their their full right, their full historical rights.
13: There is a group lobbying the Quebec uh, toponymy commission at the moment there are uh, approximately 11 other sites around the province of Quebec that have this name this designation nigger rapids etc and many people find the word so offensive and want it changed you do not want it changed at the rock you know, how about I do the other sites
12: and, uh, the, the, you know, like anybody else um, in the black community and elsewhere, I don't, um, how you call it, agree to the word nigger or to refer to me as a nigger and so on. I mean, it is a derogatory term and it was used to degrade people, <clears throat> excuse me, from our community, etc., but we are dealing with a historical fact, and we, we are dealing with the age and the time. We cannot change history, we cannot change age, and we cannot change the time. So if we are going to use another word to define Nigger Rock, it will not, be referring, it will not deal with the time and the circumstances surrounding slavery at the time. So that is why I want the name to remain, so that we can refer to history in time, because we cannot change history.
13: So some of these other sites, you have no problem with the names being changed?
12: Uh, well, I, I, because I have said, I spoke to the people responsible, uh, what do you change it for? It is the, it is a question of history, and and many places, not only here in Quebec and uh, other places in Canada, where they change the name. Uh, you know, the it is forgotten. It is, it is not known. the the um, The association with the name is gone they change it to something else, and the the place is forgotten. The history of the place is forgotten. The reason why it was named this way is forgotten. So, you know, when you deal with um, history, you must be able to respect the time that um, they referred to. If not, uh, you are not dealing with time. It is like um, Uh, changing the name of uh, any place because there is a history behind the name. So this is why we object to it.
13: How would you like the rock to be memorialized? It's on private property at this point.
12: Well, um, there are other private properties that are um, used to depict Um, certain areas. As you know, um, in the United States, they are creating, or they have created a museum which speaks of the history and the contributions of black people before and after slavery up to today. But here we have nothing, nothing to refer to, nothing To look back to nothing. Our history is not only forgotten, but it is neglected. It isn't being taught in school. uh, And most of us are not aware of slavery in Quebec and Canada. Uh, And, you know, um, I think this must be changed. If we have to be able to advance to the future, we must be able to know our past so that we can be stronger in dealing with our society. Our contributions must be known. Our sacrifices must be known. We must be known as builders of this society instead of being thought of as people who just come yesterday to take people's jobs. So it is a matter of pride for us. It is a matter of knowledge for us. It is a matter of being part of this society and feeling a sense of self and a sense of belonging. Uh, All these things are important to give value to our community and to our society and indeed the entire society should be aware of it so that they can be able to respect our contributions to the Quebec and Canadian societies.
13: Have you made your views clear to the Toponymy Commission?
12: Oh, I have, I have written to them. I have, um, uh, even when they said that they were going to change the name, I gave them my objections and the objection of the Black Coalition and many in the community because, um, as I said, we are dealing with history.
13: Is there any chance that there will be a plaque and the public can visit this site?
12: Oh, there's a plaque already. The government of um, Quebec uh, established a a plaque and it can be seen at um, City Hall. But we want to go further than that uh you know um, uh, i don't remember the date of the plaque but um we have it on our uh on our facebook site we we are going to do everything to make it public and we visit there every year to commemorate the area we have pictures on our site and so on and we will continue to do that.
13: When when do you visit? What is that occasion?
12: Oh, generally it is to mark the transatlantic slave trade. We visit in order to make known the contributions, and this is before the 23rd of August, because, uh, you know, the 23rd of August is the time or day that the United Nations designate uh, as a day of remembrance dealing with the transatlantic slave trade. So we have a week of um, a memorial and contributions, and we visit there as a, a remembrance of, of our ancestors who who sacrificed over the years uh, and to be able to remember. Because if if we don't remember, then... We are not uh, being regarded as a people who really build this society.
13: Mr. Philip, thank you for telling me about it.
12: It is I who must thank you.
13: Do you know what white folks call people like you and me in private?
8: Niggers, dogs. Niggers.
9: Our big story at 10 tonight. A secret code for racists to be able to spread hate online is revealed.
8: The code is
1: a way for
14: social media users to be able to say whatever they want, spread their messages of hate
4: without being censored.
15: The list of words surfacing tonight to replace things like Jew, Mexican, Arab, gay, lesbian, Democrats, and conservatives. And as Team
5: 12's Monique Griego found out, it wouldn't be hard to accidentally retweet one. Monique? Most of the words are pretty generic, so you could see a tweet or post online, share it with all your friends, and not even realize what you're really sending out. At first, they pop up like words out of place. Skittle, car salesman, Durden. But these tweets aren't typos. The substitute
2: words are meant to circumvent the system.
5: Carlos Galindo Ervira, the regional director for the Anti-Defamation League, talking about a new code of words being used by online communities to post racist, homophobic, and bigoted slurs without being censored. They're meant to be coded but to still deliver the impact that are, in, uh, that are intended. Under the code, Skittles aren't just candies. They're Muslims or Arabs. Jews are Skypes. Yahoo isn't just a search engine. It's Mexicans. And Google... That's the n-word, different words delivering the same offensive message.
16: It is meant to cause pain, it is meant to be hurtful.
5: Google, Twitter and Facebook just some of the sites cracking down on cyber hate, which can include harassing posts, racist comments or activity possibly linked to terrorism.
2: They're not trying to crack down on free speech or on people expressing their opinions. What I think they're responding to are words or incendiary language meant to create harm.
5: Still most believe getting rid of all hate speech is an impossible task on the ever-changing internet. While all social media sites have problems with harassment, when Twitter started losing a lot of users, many people thought it was because Twitter couldn't stop internet trolls from abusing people online. Monique Griego, 12 News at 10.
11: Oh, oh.
9: Now, and we want to warn you that some might find this next image in the story we're about to bring you offensive.
4: All right, let me set this up for you. Two Gaithersburg parents very upset at the response their 11-year-old got after he drew a lynching scene in a
7: class assignment. Now, the sixth grader appears to have been making a social statement with the drawing, but a teacher and a counselor didn't really see it that way. wsa
4: 9 Stephanie Ramirez here with us, and the school sent him actually to be mentally evaluated.
17: Yeah, Adam, a Montgomery County school spokesperson says this was due to first miscommunication, then misinterpretation, and that the teacher was really just concerned for the sixth graders' well-being, but his parents feel like there was some ignorance here. I got to hear it all from the 11-year-old himself today after he got back from the Montgomery County Crisis Center.
0: I felt like I did something wrong, but as I come back home, my mom tells me I didn't do anything wrong, so... I'm proud of this.
17: 11-year-old Tajani Epps says he thought his assignment last Thursday for Banned Books Week was to draw something you didn't want to see anymore. So he drew a lynching to depict racism still existing in the United States. The drawing is titled, Black Lives Matter. Most people, because of what's going on in the world now, they're
0: so scared, and and um the little kids that are growing up, they shouldn't have to know that they they lived around this. I'm still a little angry at how things were handled.
17: Shadé Green says her son never got to explain this and instead was pulled out of his classroom most of Friday, questioned, told to sign this contract for safety, promising not to harm himself, and then had to undergo a mental evaluation Monday. All because Green says the teacher saw this and thought suicide.
5: I kind of felt like, you know, it kind of rattled them a little bit. Like, especially coming from an 11-year-old, They didn't expect it. They didn't like it. And um, it just bothered them.
17: Green tells me the family talks about recent events, the shootings and protests to help keep her son safe. It's not just about Black Lives Matter. It's about all
0: lives matter, you know, in a sense. But right now, that's what's going on, unfortunately. It should send a message to all adults and saying that they should stop it and, like, need to do something about it.
17: And the school spokesperson also tells me that the teacher saw the assignment after and that even after they realized what it was, that there was already a crisis plan in place, which is why it was suggested he go to the crisis center. The 11-year-old says he really just wants the chance to explain this all and have a conversation with the class. Adam, back to you.
4: All right, Stephanie, thank you. Now, Montgomery County Public Schools also says it's not a county issue, but a conversation the principal will have to have with his staff when school returns from holiday tomorrow. Now we want to know what you think. Head over to our WSA9 Facebook page and leave us your comments and thoughts.
1: Well, Haiti is on a list of what's supposed to be. Haiti, the people who are called Haitians, predominantly are people who are classified as non-white, but they're not supposed to ever have anything under the system of white supremacy, except punishment (laughs) or being arrogant enough under Tucson to think that you, with your military skills, Can take us over or tell us what to do. So many a a historian has said that the reason Haiti is in the shape that it's in now and sort of like the head wagon people of the world, you might say. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of looks on them with great pity. It's because the white supremacists made that decision. Mm-hmm. We're going to make examples of you. Don't you ever think that you can have military force against me, us white supremacists of the world?
18: The hurricane left hundreds of people dead in Haiti, and the president there is calling the situation in the southwest of his country a catastrophe. Hundreds of thousands lost homes or crops. Many lost everything. Survivors are growing frustrated. They're worried they may not get any help. NPR's Jason Bobian reports from the port city of Lakai.
15: We're in a high school in Lakai right now. And this is one of the places that was designated as a shelter before the storm. And a lot of these people moved in before. Some people came right after the storm actually hit. And right now it is packed with people. There's laundry hanging from every spare space, a balcony along here. And the other thing is that people are incredibly frustrated. People don't know when they're going to be able to move back into their homes. A lot of people are injured. There are a lot of people right in front of me with bandages on their head, on their arms, people with gashes on their feet. Ale. Sí, sí. bueno. Güey. Across town, a large crowd has gathered around a truck that people heard might be loaded with food aid. Young, muscled men shoved the crowd away from the vehicle. People are trying to get on with their lives here. Amidst the felled power lines and destroyed buildings, street vendors have gone back to selling mangoes and fried plantains. Stores have reopened. Despite this attempt towards normalcy, aid agencies say the needs here are huge. Hundreds of thousands of people had their homes partially or totally destroyed props have been wiped out.
2: Uh-uh. Let, let's use this. Let's use this. Well, the, the At the main
15: public hospital in Lakai, Dr. Lance Plyler from the Christian Aid Group Samaritan's Purse today was bandaging a three-year-old boy's broken ankle. Dr. Plyler had just stopped by the hospital. There was no one to attend to the boy, so he ended up bandaging the boy's leg in the parking lot between two cars.
2: This kid's got a broken and infected leg. We're just putting a Band-Aid on a big problem, but we're trying to... Hopefully just, you know, arrest the infection enough that he'll be okay.
15: This hospital is still struggling to reopen. The 156-bed facility today could only take 10 patients. Most of the staff who could make it to work were busy trying to clear debris from the compound and mop mud out of the wards. Gilbert Lorsi is one of the people who didn't lose his roof. His tin roof and wooden rafters blew off in the Category 4 hurricane. They were able to pick it back up, however, and prop it up on what was left of his stone walls. During the day, Lorsi and his family of five camp out under it. Then at night, they go to sleep in a shelter. His neighbor next door is doing the same thing.
10: As now, we have nothing to cope with the situation. So we spend the day in our yard, but every night we go in the shelter. For two or three days, we believe that they will host us. But later on, we'll have like, to find like, a way to address a proper living.
15: Lorsi says he doesn't have a plan. He has no money to rebuild, but he also doesn't have anywhere else to go. He hopes the government or A-groups will provide building materials so that he can reconstruct his house. His neighbor worries that if aid does arrive, it won't go to people like Lorsi. Haitians have far too much experience as aid recipients. These men worry that the relief will go to people who are better connected, better off, or stronger than they are. Jason Bobien, NPR News.
19: Haiti has the lowest paid hourly wage in the entire Western Hemisphere was trying to win for these people just before he was thrown out, taken out, kidnapped. Two dollars a day. These are the people who work in the sweatshops, Fruit of the Loom, Haynes, (laughs) Levi's, all of those major companies. The lowest hourly wage in the Western Hemisphere. Trying to raise that wage, raise that wage from twenty-four cents to sixty-one cents, or five dollars a day. The factory owners, combined with USAID, the U.S. Embassy, and Secretary of State Hillary. Rodham Clinton. To, to squelch that for Haiti.
18: Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton spent much of the day in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where Keith Lamont Scott was shot and killed by police nearly two weeks ago. That shooting exposed tensions between Charlotte's black community and the police and brought days of protest. NPR's Asma Khaled is traveling with the Clinton campaign in Charlotte. Hi, Asma. Hi, Michelle. So tell us, why did Hillary Clinton decide to go to Charlotte today?
20: Well, Michelle, this is actually a trip she had planned for last weekend, but it got postponed. She wanted to come and show solidarity with the African-American community in the aftermath of that shooting you mentioned of Keith Lamont Scott, and city officials had asked her to wait. So this morning she came, she joined the congregation at Little Rock AME Zion Church in Charlotte, and she began by specifically talking about Scott's death and said that this type of violence has happened far too frequently in the African-American community. You know, she talked about praying for peace when there is so much violence, outside the church walls, and she tried to empathize with members of the congregation, show that she understands the fear and frustration in the black community. But, Michelle, I think what was most interesting about all of her remarks today was that she had some real talk and a recognition of her own privilege. You know, she loves to talk about being a grandmother, and she did that here today, but in a different way.
13: I'm a grandmother, and like every grandmother, I worry about the safety and security of my grandchildren but my worries are not the same as black grandmothers.
18: So as uh, so how were her remarks received, I can hear a lot of people kind of expressing what seemed to be kind of verbal assent that her remarks seem to go over well.
20: They did seem to go over really well. Um, she got a number of applause lines when she spoke about the need to you know, empathize and understand where some African-Americans are coming from and also about the need for police forces to perhaps de-escalate some tense situations.
18: So, Asma, since we are just really a couple of weeks out from the election, did Hillary Clinton talk politics in any explicit way?
20: Yeah, you know, Michelle, this was also, you know, no doubt a political message. And she did talk about President Obama and her desire to build on the work that he's done. She also explicitly told the congregation that in light of the protests the city has seen recently, that voting is a part of pushing for change.
13: Not everyone can march, but everyone can talk and everyone can reach out and everyone can vote.
18: As with the African-American vote has been seen as something of a firewall for Secretary Clinton around the country, but I would imagine that it is particularly critical in a state like North Carolina. Can you tell us more about that?
20: It is. Black voters are key to Clinton's strategy here. About a quarter of the electorate is African American. And those who vote are loyal Democrats. But there are some questions about black turnout this year. And, you know, black turnout was at record levels during the Obama years. And there are some questions about whether Hillary Clinton can match that. Uh, She was here today in part to empathize with the community because of the recent police shootings. But she was also here in part to solidify the Democratic base and ensuring that African Americans here in North Carolina show up on election. Day. That's
18: NPR's Asma Khalid traveling with Hillary Clinton's campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina. Asma, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're welcome. I've seen what's around the corner. I've seen what's over the horizon and I promise you,
19: you niggers have nothing to celebrate and no, I won't get there with you. I'm going to Canada.
4: I was walking down the street. I was taking the streetcar, let me correct myself, down the street as one does, if one is in downtown Toronto. And I was going to a Blue Jays game, as one does in the city of Toronto, when one is gifted tickets, as I was. And so it is not uncommon when I am riding on the street car for me to gaze longingly out the window. And that's what I was doing when I happened to see something that I really wish I had not seen. This was on Tuesday of the week that just passed. So I'm riding southbound, um, and I'm just north of Dundas. And I look out the window, and on the east side of the street, I can see a man. And this man is young. He is black. And he looks terrified. He's standing... And he's got his back up against the window of a storefront. His hands are in the air. And he's surrounded by police officers. <clears throat> Anybody who watches TV, who checks out our videos on News Talk 1010, this is a site that has become all too common for us to see a young black man and sometimes not a so young black man surrounded by police, a black woman surrounded by police, black people being accosted by police. I had no clue what was going on except for what I could see, but I wanted to find out, you know, I'm a journalist. I've been writing for several years for publications like the Toronto star and when I got out of that streetcar in haste, I didn't think that I was going to be writing a story. I just wanted to see if a black person who seemed like they were terrified was okay. Because that's what I believe in. I think that we should all be doing that, knowing the crisis that we have in policing in North America, knowing the fact that we have this practice of police carding where police are arbitrarily stopping people, especially those who are black. I wanted to find out what was going on. And I can tell you, and I want to tell you, before I go on with this story, that almost no one who saw what was going on on the street stopped to check out what was happening. It was as if it was invisible to them. I think that there's something wrong with that, but I digress. This young man was standing with his hands up, very scared, surrounded by At least six or seven police officers and more were arriving uh, during the time that I was there and milling about the scene. It was very clear that this young man was being questioned by the police at length and uh, that they were running his name in their computer. I could see this because an officer was going uh, towards his car into the computer and he was asking the young man questions, specifically questions about his address, questions about his middle name. And there was some back and forth as if the police officer was doubting the answers that this young man was giving him about his identity. Um, I heard this man say multiple times, why are you doing this to me? Why are you making this about me? I'm the one who called you guys. I'm the one who called you. Why are you treating me like this? So this man had called 911 and the police had showed up and now he was there being questioned and detained and having his name run through a police database. Um, A police officer that was closest to this man bent over and he picked up the man's backpack he began going through the man's backpack right there on the street for everybody to see. And uh, when he was done that, the officer put the backpack down, and without any warning whatsoever, he reached his hands out and began groping around this man's crotch and pocket area, searching him right out in the middle of the street without any warning whatsoever. I want you to imagine that happening to you. You call the police because you have an emergency and you end up standing there surrounded by police in a public street while the police grope your crotch. I was shocked when I saw this. And when I saw the police officer touching this young man, I called out to him and I said, hey, if you don't want this police officer to be touching you right now, you should really let him know that. Tell him that you don't want to be searched. And the reason I said this, of course, is because we always have a right to tell the police that we don't wish to be searched. We always have that right. We always have the right to not talk to the police, to remain silent, as they like to say on the TV shows. We always have those rights, no matter what is going on, unless we are under arrest. And it didn't appear to me that this man was under arrest. So I let him know, you can decide to tell the police please don't search me. As soon as I said this, the attention of these several officers turned from this young black man who was standing on the street to me. One of the officers, the one who had been searching him, became quite upset. And he came over and started questioning and interrogating me. And I decided to put my camera phone on on my cell phone because I didn't want whatever was going on to this young man to happen to me. And I figured that filming the interaction would keep me safe. Well, that officer saw me take out my phone and begin filming him. And he proceeded to come over to where I was standing. He had to walk several feet to get over to where I was. Because I wasn't anywhere close to him. And he reached out and he tried to grab my phone out of my hand. I got it on tape. You know, this frustrated me a lot, and I wrote a story about this in the Toronto Star this week. I didn't talk a whole lot about what happened to me, and the reason I didn't talk about that in the story is because I wanted the focus to be on this young man and the way that the police, the disgraceful way that our police treated a person who called them for help. But I can tell you, that I asked police communications to explain why a police officer would come up to a civilian on the street who was filming them and try to take away their personal property in the form of my cell phone. Do you know what police communications said? This is a quote. This is the specific answer that I was given. After it was confirmed that there were no weapons and that the subject was the victim... The officers did not want a video of a victim publicized. That's an official answer from the Toronto police about why their officer tried to steal my phone from me. There's something called the the, uh, OIPRD, the Ontario Independent Review of Police Directorate. I will be filing a complaint. And if you're out there listening, don't you ever let the police intimidate you into believing that you don't have the right to film them in public, because as long as you're not stopping from from doing their job, you absolutely have that right. And I think sometimes you have the responsibility knowing how rogue our police are acting out in these streets.
1: One out of four
21: human beings with their hands on bars, shackled in the world, are locked up
2: here in the land of the free.
9: Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. Said, we're going
22: to take you to the precinct, and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then
23: I never went home. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions,
19: including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. Some people got the real problem beast that needed to be controlled you better believe
7: it Money, became virtually impossible for a politician to run and appear soft on crime
9: the kinds of kids that are called super predators millions of dollars will be
19: allocated for prison and jail facilities three strikes and you are out it was an enormous burden on the black community but it also violated a sense of core fairness oh.
2: States were required to keep these prisons
24: filled even if nobody was committing a crime. It's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration
15: because it has become heavily monetized. The focus is on taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole, and probation. How
17: much progress is it really
25: now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor?
7: We now have more African Americans under criminal supervision than all the slaves back in the 1850s.
23: I'm only human. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose, products of that set of choices that we have to understand in order to escape from it.
9: That was the trailer for Ava DuVernay's new film, 13th. It will be released by Netflix on Friday. The United States accounts for 5 percent of the world's population, but 25 percent of its prisoners. In 2014, more than 2 million people were incarcerated in the United States. Of those, 40 percent were African-American men. According to the sentencing project, African-American males born today have a one in three chance of going to prison in their lifetimes if incarceration trends continue. Well, on Saturday, I had a chance to sit down with the acclaimed director, Ava DuVernay, after the Friday night premiere of her new documentary, 13th—again, the first time a documentary opened the New York Film Festival. DuVernay's previous work includes the hit 2014 film Selma, which told the story of the campaign led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others to draw the nation's attention to the struggle for equal voting rights by marching from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in March of 1965. With Selma, Ava DuVernay became the first African-American woman director to have a film nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. As we sat down together on Saturday, I began by asking Ava DuVernay about the significance of the film's title, 13th.
26: 13th um, is the jumping off point for a conversation, a wide ranging conversation uh, that gives you a, a tour through um, the history of racism, oppression, um, and subjugation in this country of black people as it relates to the criminal justice system. Thirteenth is uh, speaking about the Thirteenth Amendment, specifically the criminality, criminality clause, which states that um, uh, slavery is abolished in this country, except if we decide that you're a criminal.
9: And what does that mean, from 1865, when the Thirteenth Amendment was passed, to today?
26: Well, that's what The 13th explores. We take you from 1865 and the abolition of slavery and the enactment of— the enactment of the 13th Amendment, all the way to now, in this Black Lives Matter movement. And we trace decade by decade, generation by generation, politician by politician, president by president, each decision and how it has led to this moment. And we try to give, you know, gosh, some historical context to um, what is happening now. Uh, you know, I think people get in, in this present moment and they start to forget that we're part of a part of a legacy. And this le- legacy is rich, but it's also very violent. Um, and so we try to kind of get into the deep layers in this
9: film. Let's go to a clip of Thirteenth. The
23: Thirteenth Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. Uh, In other words, it grants freedom to all Americans. There are exceptions, including criminals. There's a clause, a loophole. If you have that embedded in the structure in this constitutional language, then it's there to be used as a tool for whichever purposes one wants to use it.
9: That's a clip from 13th, Eva DuVernay's film, how did you go from Selma, the blockbuster feature film, to choosing to make this documentary, which opened the New York Film Festival, first time ever mm-hmm. a documentary opened, this film festival, in over, what, half a century? Yeah,
26: yeah. You know, i uh, it's not the typical decision that you would make after Selma. Um, but I don't have any um, precedent. There's no black woman I can ask about, what's the right decision here? Uh, because you've done it before in terms of being a black woman filmmaker. So I'm kind of trying to create my own path there. A lot of beautiful black women filmmakers, but none that have... Uh, been in the position where, unfortunately, they've had to kind of decide what to do next after a film uh, that got as much attention as Selma. And so, for me, uh, I thought, there can't be a wrong decision. I'm not going to do what my, what my white male counterparts might do. I'm going to do what feels right to me. And so when Netflix said, would you like to make a documentary about anything, we'll pay for it, I, I always knew uh, that I wanted to explore this issue. And so
9: um, it seemed like a perfect time. I mean, the power of this film— and you go from president to president. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing you at Sundance when you talked about unspool- You talked about showing the film to the first African American president in mm-hmm. the White House a mm-hmm. hundred years after another president viewed a film there, and that film is in this film.
26: Right, D.W. Griffith's *Birth of a Nation* is um, a great. Um, I don't know, jumping off point to talk about uh, the immersion that we as Americans have had with images that show black men, black people as criminals, because it really and truly started. With, uh, with that film, started with that film in a way that it uh, was using the power of the cinematic image to subjugate, to turn the tide, to change opinion. You know, D.W. D. W. Griffith was a masterful filmmaker. He used a lot of techniques that we still use today. He innovated them. He invented them. Too bad he was a racist, because all of those tools that he was using was used to make people think that people—other li- people think that people like me are less than they are.
9: And President Wilson's response? Uh,
26: that the film was history written
9: in lightning. That there was nothing more true. That's right. 1915. That's right. So let's talk about the presidential candidates Mm -hmm. of today. Your film does not start and end with these candidates, but it does refer to them. Um, Talk about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump.
26: Well, it's interesting that they—that the two candidates are in the film, but not really um, specifically about their candidacy. Oddly enough, both of these public figures have touched on this issue in their public life. And so we basically are eliminating that, Donald Trump and his comments and his call for the for death of the Central Park Five taking out an ad, really being in the forefront of that issue fits into a section where we talk about media imagery and the insidious nature of the, the slanted media imagery. And then Mrs. Clinton, um, with, um, comments that she made about super predators, comments that she's made about, um, reversing that, her, her husband's, uh, legislation in the 1994 crime bill, her support of that at the time. So they are embedded in the documentary, in, uh, a historical context, not even speaking of them as candidates. Um, we do have a section where we show uh, Mr. Trump um, and some of his rallies, and we put imagery that I believe he is evoking um, against his words in the rallies. So in one of the rallies, he talks about the good old days, when people were ripped from their seats and taken out in stretchers. And then we show you images of the good old days, when black people sitting at, count- at lunch counters trying to desegregate were ripped from their seats. And taken out in stretchers, and so um, they're both there. And uh, hopefully, people can interrogate the candidates more deeply than I think we, as a, as a, not your your viewers, but most of the public, is um, is really giving us a pa- giving them a pass because we're so embroiled in Twitter beefs and nonsense and not asking about the issues.
9: And this film, Thirteenth, coming out in this pivotal election season. Mm -hmm. How do you hope it will affect the election?
26: I hope that people uh, demand answers, demand some strategy, demand a plan. Neither one of them has really uh, talked in great detail or enough detail for me as to um, what um, their feelings are about this issue uh, in a way that is going to make long-term change. It's a lot of cosmetic talk, but I'm really interested in um, a full commitment to making change, and that can only happen if people demand it.
9: And your, finally, um, focus on the many different people you interview, um, a centerpiece is Michelle Alexander. Oh, yes. Talk about her significance and Angela Davis's in this last minute.
26: Well, you know, uh, Queen Angela Davis, to be able to sit down with her, um, you know, one of the architects of the, of the prison abolitionist movement, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the first people to, uh, you know, really found the term prison industrial complex. Um, all her work in this space, long before it became the issue of the moment. And so to sit down with her and have a wide-ranging conversation is is, um, is elevating in every sense. And so she's a big part of the fabric of the documentary. Michelle Alexander, her work, uh, so foundational to a lot of our thinking about this now, and really trying to take a lot of what she uh, educates and opens eyes uh, to and take it further in the documentary. And so she was gracious uh, not further in a, in a negative way, but just, uh, to continue, um, with that, uh, line of thought. And so she was gracious enough to sit down and give us a wonderful interview. I flew out to see her, um, at where she teaches. And, um, and it was, uh, she's a big, big part, a big voice in this stock, as is, um, uh, Brian Stevenson and Khalil Muhammad and Kevin Gannon and Malkia Cyril. Um, a lot of really, really wonderful people, um, who are just sharing their hearts in this. And, uh, and hopefully people will feel that.
9: Ava, finally, what gives you hope? Oh, gosh,
26: the faces of black people whenever I come, whenever I see them, because um, there's black joy amidst all of the black trauma. You know, uh, all of the years of violence and oppression, subjugation, prejudice, um, all of the years of not being able to live fully free in this country as full citizens with all the rights and freedoms. It um, uh, is—there's still joy there. Uh, there's a survival there that, um, that uh, still allows for there to be a light, and that is such a strength. Uh, that is such a beauty, that whenever I see um, black people gathered more than one, it gives me hope.
9: That was Ava DuVernay, director of the new documentary, 13th. Again, it's the first documentary ever to open the New York Film Festival, to rave reviews and standing ovations. Let's turn to another clip of 13th.
23: drugs had become part of our popular culture in television programs like Cops.
21: When you cut on your local news at night, you see black men being paraded across the screen in handcuffs.
22: Black people, black men and black people in general, are overrepresented in news as criminals, when I say overrepresented, that means they are shown as criminals more times than is accurate that they are actually criminals, right based on FBI statistics
27: i mean i 'm a big believer in the power of media full of these cliches that basically present mostly black and brown folks who seem like animals in cages, and then someone can turn off the TV thinking. It's a good thing for prisons, because otherwise those crazy people would be walking on my block.
4: Creating a
28: context where people are afraid. And when you make people afraid, you can
22: always justify putting people in a garbage can.
29: Chances are you could run into a kid waiting to relieve you of your purse or wallet.
22: Every media outlet in the country thinks I'm less than human. I began to hear the word super predator as if that was my
2: name. Super predator. Predator. Super predator. Super predators. predators. That's the word they use to describe this generation, and it was very, very effective. Experts
19: call them super-predators.
9: They are not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super-predators. No conscience. No empathy. Animals.
30: Beasts that needed to be controlled. When those grandmothers say,
0: but he's a good boy, he never did anything. Don't you believe it? Many black communities began to actually support policies that criminalize their own children.
11: Last night, the 18s accused in the attack were arraigned on charges of rape and
22: attempted murder. In the Central Park Jagger case, they put five innocent teens in prison because the public pressure to lock up these quote-unquote animals was so strong.
4: You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her
22: brutally. You better believe it. Donald Trump wanted to give these kids a death penalty, and he took out a full-page ad to put the pressure on. These children, four of them under 18, all went to adult prisons for six to 11 years before DNA evidence proved they were all innocent.
11: How'd you like to live like a
19: king? Using them fists of yours.
12: We got some bad boys. It was pretty good with their hands. And they're making money in here, good-ass money. I want you to get in on this. Believe it or not, it'll benefit both of us. I get a little extra coin,
11: and you, if you survive, get to
19: be your own man. Untouched. Extra rations, maybe a conjugal or two. It's a good offer, Convict. Slavery was always a good offer. a master.
9: We are joined right now um, uh, by Mumia Abu-Jamal, who just called in from prison in Pennsylvania. Uh, Mumia, we did not expect this call. The last time we had you on, Mumia, um, a federal judge denied a request. Um, for um, you to get life saving medication that could cure your hepatitis C. Um, can you talk about your health right now and what's happening?
31: Well, you have to admit, uh, against your better judgment perhaps, but it's damn good entertainment and it's unbelievable. I mean, this is the ultimate reality show. It's so real, it's unreal. I think it reflects clearer than anything we could have imagined, the fall of empire. And, uh, you know, this is how democracies fall. Um, History repeats itself. First time is tragedy. Second time is farce. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's entertaining. It's unbelievable. Yet here we are.
9: Um, the last time we had you on, Mumia, um, a federal judge denied a request um, for um, you to get life saving medication that could cure your hepatitis C. Um, can you talk about your health right now and what's happening?
31: Well, I'm, uh, this is one of my itchy days. So, uh, despite taking anti itch medication, um, the itchiness has re flared. Uh, and so it's not a not a good day. It's not a comfortable day. Um, we kind of got a situation where the judge, I think, uh, performed a Solomonic act and breaking the baby in half. Uh, the judge did rule that the protocol of the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. Uh, was unconstitutional and a violation of the Constitution and deliberate indifference to the medical needs of at least 6,000 people uh, in Pennsylvania prisons. He reasoned also that I had sued uh, DOC officials, and that was a violation of what he called sovereign immunity. Uh, We respectfully disagreed, but he said what we should have sued was something called the Hepatitis C Care Committee. The fact is, until we had our hearing, we did not know that such a committee existed. So it would have been kind of magical to kind of stop the hearing and say, okay, what are the names of the people of this committee? Uh, We want a real, you know, refile against them because we learned about it on perhaps the third or the fourth day of our temporary restraining order hearing. Um, Yet our lawyers, being uh, very apt and very able, uh, Brett Grote and Bob Boyle, refiled against the Hepatitis C Care Committee, but also refiled against the DOC defendants, uh, defendants because they had an opportunity as administrators and health care officials to say, no, treat this man. They said, no, go by the protocol. And the protocol that was declared unconstitutional on August 31st is still the one in place as of today. So it's still unconstitutional.
9: Mumia Abu-Jamal, mass incarceration is a major issue in this country today. I just came from uh, the premiere of the documentary by Ava DuVernay called 13th, about the 13th Amendment, slavery uh, of 1865, and mass incarceration today. Your thoughts behind bars?
31: Well, it um, is—remember I talked about tragedy and farce a few moments ago? It is a tragedy that we're— Now counting down the days of the first African-American accent on African president in the history of the United States, and when he leaves, you will still have the greatest incarcerator on earth at work and growing and continuing to divest and destroy and diminish the lives of millions of people. The fact that you could have a black presidency and not put a dent in that hellhole is startling, is tragedy, on you know, on a grand stage.
9: President, and yet the President Obama went—is the first sitting president to go into a prison.
31: Yeah. He went into a prison that was empty, because all of the prisoners were emptied from their cells. So he walked— into a prison block. Yes, that's true, and it's historic. But it's also true that he walked in an empty prison block. If you have the greatest incarceration on Earth in this nation, then, you know, why don't you make history by attacking not empty cells but creating empty cells by freeing people? And uh, it is a tragedy because if you think... One of the architects, or at least a great mind that helped uh, the architect, and I speak now of William Jefferson Clinton. Um, if you think that her, uh, his wife, will destroy what w- he is proud of, right? Then you're tripping. I mean, this is not, this is not a good time to be black in America, and not just because of people walking while black, driving while black, running while black, breathing while black, but because of all of the health that people suffer all across America. Mumia, and the truth of the matter is, it ain't getting sweeter. It ain't getting better.
9: Mumia, it's the 50th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panthers uh, in just a few weeks. Your comments on this as a former Black Panther yourself?
31: I am happy to announce that we are republishing We Want Freedom, A Life in the Black Panther Party by a publisher, a new publisher called Common Notions of Brooklyn. Um, It's a book that I'm really uh, proudest of because... It tells the story of the Black Panther Party, warts and all, criticisms and all, personal and political. And I think that in an age where Black Lives Matter is the greatest and biggest civil rights movement in decades, it's time for people to learn from that movement, its high points, its low points, its mistakes, and its successes. Because if you read the Ten Point Program that Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton wrote in October 1966. It will startle you. It will shock you to see what hasn't changed in 50 years. Uh, To quote Young Jeezy, the rapper, we're still living in hell. And so we must change this reality.
10: And that work continues for all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Nate Parker's in the building. What's up, what's up? Two, Two things I thought I would never see on a Hollywood screen is Luke Cage in any form. And Nat Turner in a movie. Right. I've been screaming for a Nat Turner movie because I don't like slave movies. Mm -hmm. I've been denounced them. I said, if you going to make any slave movie, let it be Nat Turner because Nat Turner wasn't a victim. And you got it done.
4: Well, let's explain that turn or two for people that don't know, because I've never learned it in mm. my history books. It was it wasn't anything that I've ever read, and right. I went to Hampton University, which right. is an HBCU. I, I've been in Hampton. I know you're from Norfolk. Mm-hmm. So, what what made that so special to you? That story.
3: Well, it, a lot of it is what you just said. I grew up in Norfolk, 42 miles east of, of Southampton County, where the revolt happened, and I never heard about this brother. Right. Mm-hmm. So really? why? Yeah, I never heard about. Him. I grew well, up. I,
9: with... uh, yeah, we learned about it growing up, but. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I, ne- oh, I never learned you. about it in school, mm-hmm. uh, and it's significant because when, when you think of the proximity, you would think that someone would have said something, mm-hmm. but it speaks to the danger of the revolutionary, you know, mm-hmm. the person that looks like us that fought for his own freedom. We don't get those stories. Like you, you said, you know what I mean? Like even when we learn about slavery, we learn through the context.
32: Context. 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 Looking at Looking behavior. behavior context. context. context.
3: Stuff. the victim a victim and honest right. we laid down until honest Abe said enough is enough you know he you know honest Abe couldn't tell a lie Molding his chin pensive the slave problem we got to figure it out pick yeah. us up and now we're free right you know? yeah. we don't learn about you know Tucson we don't learn about Denmark vC we' don't Denmark learn Vesey. about you know mm-hmm. we don't learn about Gabriel Prosser we don't learn about any of them mm-hmm. right and so you have to ask yourself why is that why are they, why is our history being hid the things that will empower us you know what I mean and even when I was trying to make this film, people were like you make this film bro like it's gonna be a problem like don't make this film like black people like prominent directors was like make the story of john brown you know john brown's a white abolitionist that mm-hmm. led a slave revolt mm-hmm. it was like that'll be easier for people to digest you know what i mean i had another prominent black director told me he was like well i liked your script but i didn't love it one thing would have made me love it. and i was like what you know i got my notebook mm-hmm. right and he said you, you need more good white people Wow. I was like, mm-hmm. "What do you mean?" He was like, "White people ain't gonna watch
10: that, man. They ain't gonna watch that shit." But it was that. the eighteen hundreds. It's a period piece, Mm-mm. and it was America. <laughs> right, right. But that's what I'm saying. And yeah. it was
3: America. And that's the thing. It's like you know, when it comes to other demographics that have endured torture and genocide and Holocaust, you know, it's you know, it's never forget. You know what I mean? It's very important that we mm-hmm. hold those stories up so they never repeat themselves. But in this country, we have this this habit mm-hmm. of kind of closing off the things that don't reflect us in the best of lights. You know, so in telling the story, you know. I said, man, I learned about Nat Turner at 21, mm-hmm. but if I'd have learned about him at 12... How did you learn about him at 21? Uh, African American studies class. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they
10: made you read the Confessions in Nat Turner? Or? Uh, I
3: did read that. Okay. You know, and it's funny because Confessions is fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not. That's like a. I always
10: wondered about that. Somebody told me that before.
3: It's well, it won a Pulitzer, which is which is tricky because okay. it won the Pulitzer for fiction. Mm-hmm. But you know, when people talk about it, because it's like the end all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But even you know the the the, the, the writer, he said it's a reimagining mm-hmm. of of Nat Turner's life. It's not Nat Turner's life. So when you read the Fires of Jubilee. You know, or William Drury's book in uh, Southampton Insurrection, and you read the real stuff, you're like, wait a
10: minute. Well, I need to read the real stuff. The only thing I ever read was the Confessions of Nat Turner. But I'm gonna
3: tell you how, like it's a fiction book where it said, Okay, well Nat Turner, um, he 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 his all of his motivation came for his lust after the handmaid of his master, like a white woman. Like that's why. And he was crazy, he was a fanatic, mm-hmm. he was homosexual, like all these things that they made up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you get to the real, you're like, Well, why would they denigrate it's like, why would they mysticize the things that actually happened mm-hmm. when they had like, why would they make it so he didn't have children or didn't have a wife mm-hmm. when in real life he had a wife, he had a child, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like the attack, you know, uh, uh, of, of the black man, the demonizing of the black man is something that ain't new. This right. is age old, mm-hmm. you know. So when we get to, to, to celebrate this story, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of people I grew up with went to prison, did, you know, not here with us today, mm-hmm. had that chip on their shoulder and had no context as to why or where, you know, they could put that energy. But heroes, when you can say, oh, no, 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 Nat Turner rose and stood so I can stand. Nat
10: Turner was Django before yeah, Django. The real Django. Yeah, me and Chris Rock had a debate about that because he thought I was trying to insult Nat Turner by saying that, but the reason I love Django is because he wasn't a victim. Django burnt the plantation He there. did, and he
3: stood up and he was like, nah, it's not happening this way. I'll take it even a step further, though. Nat Turner said, I'm going to sacrifice on behalf of people that I'll never meet. mm You get what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. in biblically, it says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Right? Nat Turner was like, okay, I'm going to walk to these gallows, but Mm -hmm. I know that what I did will echo into eternity. We're celebrating that turn. They skinned him, made, made lampshades out of his skin and purses. Like this is Mm -hmm. what they did. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? so it's like all, and they did what they did in the name of God. He did what he did in the name of God. Because it ain't, for me, it ain't about the money. It ain't about no accolades. I didn't step away from acting and, and, and bankrupt my life and put my mortgage in, in jeopardy just, you know, to, to be fly, mm-hmm. you know, like that's not what this is about. This is about a story that if I had when I was 12, I mean, we, you know, we lose mm-hmm. young brothers and sisters, 11, 12. Yeah, they yeah. don't have heroes and people that to connect to now to, to be, have a kid on the playground saying, well, I'm that Turner. Like it's priceless. I learned about
10: Denmark VC at about 13, 14, mm-hmm. because I'm from most corner, South Carolina, but born in Charleston. Yes. It would take us to field trips mm. to Denmark V.C.'s house. Right. Mm. I knew about Denmark V.C. since decades ago.
3: But what does that do for your self-esteem when someone says Hell black yeah. people didn't fight? You're like, wait, no, 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 no. Let's get this straight right now. And and what we're working on right now is like uh, a monument for Nat Turner. There's things we're trying to put together. So a field trip. So my young 11-year-old self in Norfolk at Tidewater Park or the Middle School mm-hmm get on a bus they take me to Southampton county 40 miles away and they say everyone this is the path that nat turner took with his with his rebels when they were fighting for the liberation that you enjoy and all of a sudden you in the same way you have meet like a, a a strong proud like irish person or a strong proud scottish person they had the crest tattooed Mm -hmm. on their arms you know what i'm saying like we try we do that like we know when you learn about hannibal you learn about you know timbuktu or kush Mm -hmm. or shanti all of that it does something for your self-esteem right right? but we've been so disconnected from africa that it's like we can't even attach to the moors we can't even attach to the people that went came before us our ancestors that did great things because when we were kids and we probably near to some of us near the same age in between commercials they were giving us sally struthers for 70 cents a day, you can help one of these little yeah, yeah, yeah. skinny, <laughs> hot belly yeah, yeah, yeah. flies walk under their eyes, in and out of their mouth. You know what I'm
4: saying? But Norfolk was so racist when you were down there. I mean, right. the, Virginia, especially that area where, where you're Absolutely. from over there, it was so racist. I mean, they still fly the Confederate flag. I mean, I was in school down there. Same thing as South and, right. and it's still so nasty. So how mm-hmm. did you even overcome all of that? That Hampton Roads area down there is nasty it's over tough. You know it's when tough. I went to school down there. Right. You know,
3: well, overcome it, you mean in the sense of making the film or right. just, mm-hmm. well, you know, I went down there for my research. Um, I, You know, I don't do well with, with fear. I'm just, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't fear anything. Well, you're wrestler. I've been watching your wrestling too. Right, yeah. You busy wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I, get, yeah. You get, you get I did all right. Wrestling. I did All right. So for me, it's like, I don't look at it through the lens of like what people might do to me or how people feel. I look at it through the lens of like how we've been conditioned to see ourselves and how I may be a, par- a part of the solution right. to change the, the narrative around who we are as a people. And right. even
0: watching this afterwards, you feel
9: like you can apply a lot of different things to what's going on. That's right. Even today, I walked out of there and I was like, wow, there's just so many things that you see mm. when you watch Birth of a Nation that mm. what's going on in the news today, what's going on in the communities. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you were on um, T.D. Jakes mm-hmm. and you spoke about the first police officers were mm. overseers.
3: That's right. Well, yeah, first police officers were slave catchers. They were called paddy Who you belong to, boy. Yeah, they go straight, they go through the plantation. It's funny how... Like, when you have context, you just think differently, right? Mm-hmm. So, look, the first police officers, right, I want to in South Carolina, mm-hmm. their job was to go in between the plantations and make sure nobody was wandering or deserted or ran. And if they caught someone, sometimes they just kill them. or Sometimes they bring them back and beat them publicly, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you fast forward to 2016, you look at our communities, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times in our communities, we're fine. But if you could drop, I mean, I came with a tie with a park. Mm-hmm. In Tidewater Park, you're in between that. I mean, there's people that haven't left the neighborhood mm-hmm. in years. Why? Mm-hmm. What happens if you leave the plantation? That's As soon as you cross that street, you're pulled over. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? Where's your path? What you doing in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. What you doing in this neighborhood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So if we, if we can understand the damaged relationship between us and law enforcement back then, then we have context as to right now in 2016. And we're not saying, oh, a couple bad apples. We're saying, no, something systemic has happened.
10: Direct correlation. Direct
3: correlation. Driving
10: the wrong neighborhood if you want to as a black man. <laughs> See if right they don't is. ask you for your pass, Yeah, if they, <laughs> if they don't ask you for your
3: pass, And then get out of the car, get the F on the curb. Mm-hmm. That's the game. You know, but if you have that context, right, then you can deal with it in a way that's made more progressive rather than saying there are a couple bad cops. You know, I, don't, I for one, and people may disagree with this, I don't think a cop wakes up and says, man, I hope I can kill me today. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, but... We are, they're taught and conditioned to believe, Absolutely. black ones and white ones, mm-hmm. taught and conditioned to believe that when you see someone of color, they are presumed dangerous yep. and yeah, guilty. A bad guy. Yeah. A bad guy, mm-hmm. dangerous, or they call it criminal poli- policing. I had a police right. tell me, he was like, dude, we went in the really good neighborhoods." That is administrative policing. You know what I'm saying? We see someone, hello, how are you, sir? How are you, ma'am? Can you please? He was like, but when we in the jungle, and he said the word jungle, but just because it's like in him, it's the mm-hmm. hunt. It's, it's criminal policing. You know, you got you on probation, you know what I'm saying? You get the fuck, get on your own parole, get on the curb. Right. But it's a mentality. And that same mentality says, make it home no matter what. Right. Protect yourself no matter what. All of that is past that. All that fear, like all of this trauma that we're feeling is, is, is directly connected to the worst period in American history that we do like this. Cognitive dissonance.
19: Yeah.
22: But I. Be mad about, got a lot to be a man about, got a lot to pop sand about. I used to rock hammer downs and now I rock standing crowd. But it's hard when you only got fans around and no fam around. And if they all then they hands is out and they pointing fingers. When I wear this fucking burden on my back like a motherfucking cap and gown. Then I walk up in the bank, pants, stacking down. and I laugh at frowns. What they mad about? Cause it comes this motherfucker with this mass account that didn't wear a cap and gown. Are you mad? Cause the judge ain't give me more time. And when I tipped to suicide, I didn't die. I remember how mad I was on that day, man. You gotta let it go before I get up in the way. Let
17: it go, let it go. I ran into this
5: girl. She said, why you always say it? Why you can't just face it? Why you always trying to be surprised? I got a lot to be mad about.
16: Context of white supremacy, gusty renegade, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date: Saturday, October 8th, 2016. So I have been told. This is our compensatory call-in dial-in. Observations, thoughts. Uh, lots went down over the past seven days. The number to dial is 641-715-3640. The code is five six four pounds Press star 6 if you would like to participate. The number again, 641 715 Zero the code is five six four nine four three pound. press star six if you would like to participate. A few quick things uh, before we get to callers if you' all have things uh, you would like to share. Um, if there are listeners in the Tampa, Florida area, I guess for listeners, period, in the Florida area, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, or wherever else you happen to be, anyone, I know we might even have folks uh, who are in the Caribbean someplace. Um, definitely thoughts and prayers uh, with folks there. Uh, lots of black people uh, suffered uh, tremendous loss of life as well uh, in Haiti and Uh, Just a real disruptive uh, situation, devastating situation on the uh, East Coast, Western Hemisphere right now. Thoughts and prayers to folks there. Um, But if we have any folks who are in the Tampa area, Cows listeners, and you would be interested uh, in having contact uh, with other Cows listeners, uh, trying to be constructive uh, in the Tampa, Florida area, uh, feel free to drop an email. Also for listeners, if you are in the Leeds area, Area, Uh, so this is England, Leeds area. I know we have a good number of uh, UK listeners. Uh, I am not sure about exact locations. So if you are in the Leeds area, drop an email. We have folks there specifically uh, who would be interested in getting in contact uh, with other folks uh, in the same region. Uh, Keep it constructive. Keep it constructive. Uh, Other quick notes uh, to get to, I guess, for other people, if you're in. Wherever you happen to be at, if you could just if you send an email until justice at gmail dot com. Until justice at gmail dot com. And just put the city, put whatever location you are. So Leeds contact, Tampa contact, you know, uh Southern California contact, whatever it happens to be, and I will try to forward things along. With that, uh quick quickly before I uh, we get to folks who called in, I played uh solange's song featuring will wayne uh at the conclusion of the news clips um i think at least some of our listeners uh have concluded that uh this is an attempt at counter-racism at some level with what she is talking about uh on the whole project and then i think with that song specifically the song that i played mad Okay, now, I don't know if you could catch all of the lyrics uh, as you, if that was your first time hearing it. Even Lil Wayne's part, and I can't really say I'm a big fan of Lil Wayne, but I did think uh, on his second verse where he talks about uh, committing, attempting suicide and people being upset that he didn't die, right? Uh, I have to take him literally on that because he does have a song called Uh, I Feel Like Dying, very popular uh, from a while back. That and he lost family members in Hurricane Katrina, Uh, and he's talked about that uh, publicly. I played an interview where he talked about that. We were doing our Katrina study session, Uh, and I'm sure some of our listeners recall, I think, the situation within the last month or so. He did an interview where he said, Uh, That he hasn't experienced racism. He can honestly say that he hasn't experienced racism. And some people were upset about that and what have you. Uh, And I thought about it within the context both of, uh, at least that's what he said here, uh, if he attempted suicide, the self-destruction, the impact, the black mental health aspect of racism, white supremacy. Uh, But I thought about it within the context of this song, Mad. That is what happens when you are not allowed to be angry, not allowed to acknowledge the truth of racism, white supremacy. And I think that's the position that a lot of black people find themselves, ourselves, in regularly. But just looking at the lyrics, of the little Wayne's part, right? The suicide, I think, is most important, although he has some other interesting lines in there as well. So, okay, then we look at uh, Solange's lyrics. And she says, uh, I ran into this girl, she said, Why are you always blaming? Why can't you just face it? Why you always got to be mad, be mad, be mad, be mad, which I think is real subtle, but slick as well. And so then it continues. Uh, I got a lot to be mad about. I would think that should resonate with a lot of black people. There certainly is lots for us to be angry about. And then subtly be mad, be mad, be mad. Um, she gets to the end of the song. She says, I ran into this girl. I said, I'm tired of explaining why can't you just face man? This shit is draining. But I'm not really allowed to be mad. That for sure is black people. You are not allowed to be angry about being terrorized by whites. That everyday experience. uh, I I don't know what else she could be talking about if it's not (laughs) racism, white supremacy, just not stated as explicitly. And I think we've talked about that uh, on the program before. Uh, Sometimes the counter-racism in the music is not as overt as i'm black and i'm proud or public enemy um fight the power they could have picked a lot of public Enemy's work uh but something like our day will come Looked that in proper context counter racist effort that's what i think is going on here might be going on for the whole album i just haven't heard the whole thing yet but i do like that song all righty Uh, We will get to callers. Uh, Nate Parker used the word context a lot. I didn't even play the full interview, but I can say from that interview, I think Ava uh, DuVernay, uh, she used it or she said it. And then it was said within the trailer uh, for her new film uh, as well. Man, either more folks are listening to the cows than I thought, or I just did a really good job in selecting a name For the program, Uh, I guess it could be both, but just those little snippets when the word context drops, that should add further clarity for why this broadcast is the context of white supremacy. If we could not use metaphors uh, for the program today, that would be super appreciated. Uh, If we could just try to be explicit, blatant simple and direct with what we are trying to say. Uh, I've stated consistently I think racists they will regularly employ metaphors, uh, analogies, false equivalencies uh, to try to confuse us in relating things that are simply not equal. I think a lot of times just victims of racism uh, in our confusion and just trying to, to figure out the best way to articulate our views sometimes we use uh, metaphors when the things that we are comparing are not accurate, uh, and we might even be promoting some confusion in suggesting that two things are similar when they are not. So if we could avoid the metaphors, analogies, just speak clearly, exactly, specifically about what it is we would like to say. Thank you kindly. The number again, 6417153640. And the code is 564943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, The first few folks who dialed in with a hand up should be with us. Uh, feel free. If you could watch the background noise, that would be great. If you know you're in a loud environment, if you could use your mute button, if you know you're around people or whatever the case, just use your mute button. That way it will not disrupt the quality of the program. Thank you much. Uh, so the first few folks who dialed in, Mine should be open. Uh, feel free to participate. Try
32: to be heard.
16: Yes, sir. Good evening, Docs.
33: Uh, good evening to all the callers. Thomas in new york um interesting read uh, interesting clips um the georgia cop um you know uh, they've been cracking down on people with their social media posting um it's not quite um to the point where it's consistent of course the board to get fired or whatever but um we're starting to catch up to that um the georgia cop but what would kill me was a uh, cop that um, left before he got fired. If he was behind it at another police, before. <laughs> totally, cop, really, white people don't get fired; they get transferred. Um, I think that it would be appropriate for all black people in that area who got a ticket from them over the past I don't know, decades, however long they've been doing it, to um, maybe file a class action lawsuit. Um, because. I mean, uh, unless they're going to go back, what lawfully should be done is any of the tickets or unless they've made should be reviewed. Um, they've proven to be biased. Um, uh, I would say, as far, to, as far as the clip about Canada, um, I wish they would just leave Nigger Rock alone. Um, It sounds like what white people would call if black people came out with a new form of heavy metal music, they'll call it nigger rock, rock, you know? And it's like Texas Governor Rick Perry's got his nigger head (laughs) bench. I mean, I think it's just a a reflection of white supremacy. leave the names as they are. Uh, I wonder if the Canadian soldiers would be sending a little bit of extra more child support down to their Haitian children. Um, being that they had that catastrophe happen there. Um, worst place for that to happen. Um, Hillary Clinton, um, she's the most dangerous person for black people I swear. Um and I I personally I have a losing every state but DC. Um, she's on the stage last week talking about how criminalized black men are and how they're being targeted, and Trump said. He's gonna re implement, stop it first. I said oh, she has no chance. Um <laughs> no chance at all. Uh, I think that the super credit might help her, you know, maybe how remind them um, the white people how she really is. But um yeah, trying to get the black vote is it's not gonna help her in this election. I don't think so. Um school terrorism, campus racism is everywhere. Um, just be on the lookout for it. It every week I could pull out tens of stories. Um Chris Rock he felt like Jingle and was a Nat, was a insult to Nat Turner. <laughs> and I said, but he called Dolly degenerate was the parks attorney you know, um uh, Chris Rock. Um, um around my neighborhood we had a Popeye's restaurant um, where um uh, someone got home with their chicken and it was a fried grass head in it. And um, since then, and it's been about three weeks now, I've paid attention and I could count the amount of black people I've seen in Popeye's, which is usually just GM cat. But it's former whites and Asians all of a sudden and I just found that to be very compelling. I never knew this many whites I never knew many Asians even lived around here. I just was like every time I walked past this Very interesting. Um, um, This story is sort of like the super predators. And I was listening to uh, another program, and um, the person mentioned um, the crack baby myth. And I never really thought about it, but um, if you Google Dr. Hart, H-A-R-T, crack baby, um, put that together in Google, and a bunch of articles will pop up. Um, Dr. Carl Hart is a black man. He's a neuropsychopharmacologist. So he's he's accredited, because I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but um, he's from Columbia University, so, I mean, that's Ivy League. Um, He's worked there for quite some time. He studied crack babies for 20 years, and his studies show that there's no physical or mental difference between a crack baby so-called cat baby or in a regular child. And um I just found that to be interesting. And i um, in some of the articles it goes on to explain how this is, you know, made up by the white people to so, further criminalize black people to take their kids away from them and do things like that all based on something that they knew wasn't true. Um they knew this wasn't true and they went along with this um thing just like the super predator. And um I mentioned this to my aunt. And um, you know, my whole family is full of teachers. My aunt, my mother, my grandmother, all all her siblings, all teachers. And she gave me so much pushback, like, you know, she was angry that, you know, I've seen these kids, they're they come in, they're already sexual, they're already hyper, and I'm like, you know, maybe that's because they were being raised by their heads, I mean, you know, or maybe because Second generation of teen mom, or maybe because the first generation of kids, you know, watching their mama and then their grandmama getting dressed to go out to the same club. You know, I mean, it's a lot of other reasons for that. But also, um, this Dr. Hart, he also did an article which I found to be very interesting and could affect us in the future. You know, it's if you Google Dr. Hart, H A R T, Adderall is mess whole bunch of articles should pop up about this research, and this um, mess, in my opinion, will be the new crack of the future in our neighborhoods. Um, I hear Adderall being mentioned in all these rap songs now. Sort of like they, you know, when I grew up, it was weed, but now they're, they're talking about all these pills, and Adderall is pretty um, prominent, and it's prescribed to people for focusing, um, to focus, and it's being prescribed to black kids, more than, um, I mean, they account for almost 70% of their sales, and this is um, giving it to them for ADHD, and it's addictive. Um, you know, when I was working at the law firm, when I would do the office moves, these lawyers had drawers full of this, and generic forms of it, because I would pull out my phone and look up to see what they're taking, you know, I'm being nosy like white people are, and it would be this outer wall. And if it has the same uh, physical components to you as meth, what's going to happen when these kids turn 18 and they're no longer able to get at it all from the state government and, you know, whatever, you know, some of these kids, and parents are getting paid to give them these EDC drugs. So um, we're we will going have to look at uh, the next best thing. Hope,
16: Thank you, uh, Thomas in New York. Appreciate that. Uh, That about the crack babies, that is in Medical Apartheid, which we just finished reading, and Dorothy Roberts Killing the Black Body uh, when she was on the program in 2009. Uh, Any of the other folks who have a hand up uh, have commentary you wanted to share?
0: Hello, can I be heard?
16: Yes, ma'am. Okay, I'm
0: sorry about that. Um, Hi, I wanted to um, kind of talk about... um, they had the guy the um the caucasian um guy that was watching um the person that had called the police and how they um searched him and uh just terrorizing Texas backpack and how just he just stood there that long and watched and then thereafter he said something and then told the boy he had the right to tell them they don't have to search him and but he doesn't have the right to tell them not to search him because they they do what they want to do. They they'll kill you. They'll they'll do it just like when um, they said something to him, like, well,
32: "Hey,
0: you defended him? and then they start. He has the right to say um, say that. But now they're saying, "Okay, well, yeah, you're bothering them, but." Don't let them do that to you. Defend your, but we don't have the same rights. So it just seems like maybe they'll start saying, "Well, you let them do it, where well, you don't defend yourself, you just sit there." So that's what I thought when I heard the guy say that. And um, the just like in general on all the clips, the words that they use when they describe describe how wish they're terrorized they say things um, to defend it or make it seem, oh, well, you know, they they didn't even know. It's just all of a sudden it's just, it, they just always defend themselves. So it's like, oh, we're not racist. It's just, it's an accident. Like it's an accident. Well, we didn't know. It just so happened to be racist. Who the knew? And um, then with Nat Turner, um, how they, how the guy that did was doing the movie, how when he was talking to the other guys, they were stating, he didn't, um, uh, when the um, white people described him, he wasn't, he didn't have a family. He was just, he wasn't the way he actually was with the family, like maybe leading that he was gay and um, how when he was um, having other people read the script, um, other directors, they liked the movie, but they didn't love it because he didn't have enough white, um, wh- good white people in it and how... As directors, they all know, I mean, black directors in general, that they have to have a lot of good white people in anything, even though that with our Foolish movies, we don't have to have a lot of good white people. Well, we do have good white people in our Foolish movies, too. But they can have all white movies all the time and not have any black cast, but we must. And they know it, too. The black directors is interesting. And um when the lady spoke um about how they um what did I write down? Oh overrepresent um black males and how because they do to make people think that, oh well, I'm glad that they these these things happen to them or I'm glad that they go to jail or just not care about what happens to the black males and then of course they're after us because You know we're them also so that's all i wanted to state um from the clippings that were played and i'll meet my line thank you
27: mabby hart yes ma'am hi this is lady in new york um i'm definitely gonna be listening to the clips again when you um post post it um When the Young Turks, I don't remember the host, his name, uh, when he was speaking about the uh, police officer, I guess was spreading some racist commentary with his colleagues, um, how he was fired. And when he said, God bless, I don't know if this was the chief, whatever officer was in charge of him who suspended or fired or, you know, got this guy transferred to a better position, Um, God bless him because he does not do this racist activity openly. Um, That was, I was like, did he know that what he just said? Because I interpreted what he said as, I'm happy that at least he's codified. Um, So I I don't don't know, I just, that was very... um, that made me put some thought into that, and that's what I'm going to listen to um, it again in the archives. Um, I don't know if this is happening in other towns or any of the uh, viewers and areas where they live, but we've been having in our local newspaper um, this continual news story circulating because there is a group called Make Rochester White Again, and they have their website, which is whiterochester.org they have been going to the whitest of white parts of town I live in a very 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 small town Um, so they go to the suburbs um, and they've been in two and they've just overnight distributed hundreds and hundreds of flyers prompting people to go to this whiterochester.org website And, I don't know, talk about making Rochester great again, which equals making Rochester white again. Um, The suburbs they've gone to, one was 76% white, one was 86% white. White people have gotten a rally, the first one they went to, and the white mother decided to uh, make this rally because she has black children, non-white children. And so she was very disheartened because she doesn't want her non-white children to live in that kind of climate. Um, I think there's been more than one of these rallies. I'm not really sure it's held out in the suburban locations. The writer was discussing that, uh, I think it was a gentleman, that he expects his neighborhood to get hit next because it's the third whitest neighborhood. Um, And he also mentioned about on the flyers that they are asking for volunteers to specifically target and distribute flyers where primarily white people live. So they want to have white people um, recruit other white people to, I guess, keep the areas that they are living in white or make them even whiter, which, again, um, one place is like 86%, one place is 76%. um, One town was like 94% white. Um, I think they hit just two towns. Uh, So I'd like to go now that they, for a while, they were not posting the web address this WhiteRochester.org, they were just talking about the fact that it said make Rochester great again and that it was racist. Now they're putting in the articles this um, web address. So I'll be going on there and looking at it. I'd love to get a hold of one of these flyers um, or a picture of this flyer because I think a lot is being left out of what exactly this flyer is saying. Um, so I'd like to, uh, definitely get that. And, um, if anyone's interested, I'll, you know, let you know if I get a hold of the fire and what it says. And I definitely like to hear if, um, this type of material has been distributed in anyone else's town, um, recently. So, uh, that's it. I guess I'll meet my line for now
16: appreciate that. I just wanted to to get in uh, the caller before uh, lady in New York. Uh, Desmond Cole was the broadcaster who was talking about the situation where the young black Uh, male was being accosted by enforcement officers in Canada and he told them uh, that he didn't have to allow them to search him and what have you. Desmond Cole is a black male, uh, just so that people understand, uh, haven't seen him before, Uh, he is a black male. So this was a black male observing this other black person being molested by the police and they spoke up and then the police came over and tried to snatch his phone and all that. Uh, Other folks that uh, we have not heard from, if you had commentary... Line should be open. You go first, fighter, Florida.
11: Thank you, sir. Greetings, everyone, Uh, and uh, to the uh, the host and uh, everybody. Uh, I would like to have permission to uh, play a thirty-eight second uh, audio. Uh, It kind of like sums up the relationship the global system of race and white supremacy has with Haiti. Uh, do I have permission, Gus? Oh, yes, sir. All right. And then I'm going to make a, a brief comment on it. Hold on for a second.
25: picking up maybe 30 to 40 inches of rainfall. We're really concerned about Haiti. So we look at the area of the Dominican Republic, and you notice what's different in this NASA image. You see all brown here and then green to the east. That's because this whole area has been essentially deforested. They take all the trees down. They burn the trees. Even the kids there, they're so hungry, they actually eat the trees. Now, what... uh,
11: I hope you heard the last point uh where she uh if if the caption is weather channels Jen del rato uh haiti defrosted be, uh deforested because kids eat the trees uh basically uh uh that was uh done by a meteorologist quote unquote from uh the weather channel uh basically my comment on it was Uh, Haiti, I think, is a reminder to non-white people from the white supremacists saying, I will permanently mistreat you for attempting to stand up against me. I will keep your country, I mean, I'm sorry, I will keep your economy, construction, ecology, unstable, just because you attempted to wage counter-war against me, your white master. Despite this reality, there are answers to the problem of racist white supremacy. Uh, Basically, uh, what Ms. uh, Delgado was uh, uh, doing was, in a sophisticated way, uh, showing uh, humiliation towards uh, non-white people who are the most unfiltered in terms of sexual contact in this part of the world with white people, primarily because they actively have stood up physically to defend themselves against white people. Uh, and uh, this has been going on for a long period of time. Uh, the situation is so bad in Haiti that they don't, the white supremacists don't have to physically be around to mistreat them. Their ecology is so unstable. All it takes is a strong wind, and they're going to have disaster. Every single time, and then after that, as we all have witnessed, back with the uh, earthquake, uh, then the white people come in with their uh, money schemes, and uh, also stealing, stealing babies, uh, that sort of thing. So it's a constant that goes on uh, with Haiti, and for the most part, any reports on them is going to be some level of ridicule and humiliation in that life, which is. A common practice uh with uh, white people who uh, practice racism, and uh, you can see this I guess you can you can get this from uh uh via the Weather Channel if you wanted to see it in full. It's thirty seconds long. I just ran twenty four seconds of it, and I think that was enough that you heard on uh, what uh uh Miss Delgado mm-hmm. put in her uh report. Thank you.
16: That. Roz, were you going to share, sir? Uh, yes, I was just having trouble with my mute button. Thank you um, yeah, I
21: did actually see that clip that kind of made made headlines on the internet because uh it just reminds me of um uh the description of Haiti kind of reminds me of uh their descriptions of Africa as, you know, place where people wear grass skirts and run around naked and chuck spears all the time. Um, That, that kind of commentary kind of takes me back to that because um, like you said, Haiti, um, they're just a ongoing shining example of the kind of brutality uh, white people are capable of, especially when you seek to liberate yourself or help others liberate themselves in any way, shape or form against white supremacists. Um, The clip about, the, about Nigger Rock, and uh, I think it was Quebec, uh, Canada, I was really glad that the black male did not want to change the name uh, from Nigger Rock to something else. I like the way he articulated the fact that he understood that that term was a derogatory term, but in order to commemorate the violence against our African ancestors in that specific area, um, he felt the name should not be changed, which I agree with um, emphatically. Um, one thing I find that white people tend to do, just historically speaking, is they change names of places all the time. And these are the ways that they choose to um, to take your, your term, Gus, obfuscate reality or to doctor the way people view what actually happened in a particular place. Um, First, they tend to change the indigenous names first to disconnect the indigenous people from their ancestry in that land to something that they arbitrarily choose to name it, Um, usually after one of their racist ancestors. And then after that, if there are tragic tragedies that happen there, they'll change the name in order to uh, remove or try to cleanse the memory of the uh, tragedy that took place in that particular area. So I'm glad he uh, spoke out about that. Um, I thought that the clips that were played during Democracy Now!, uh, the discussion with uh, David DuRenay, I thought that they were really uh, good. I think the documentary is going to be awesome. Um, it, as far as um, I didn't see it yet, I'm hoping to get to see it because it really sounds like it provides quite a bit of uh, great information about the uh, candidates that are being paraded in front of us um, in regards to a lot of their activities um, prior to reaching this point in American history, so I think it'll give people a lot to think about. Um, Hopefully, we can make a collectively uh, positive decision in regards to doing something about uh, them getting into office, but I doubt that'll be the case in the system of white supremacy. I wanted to say happy birthday to Fannie Lou Hamer. Her birthday was this past week, Um, so I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to that prominent uh, black female ancestor for the work that she has done for our people. Um, Nate Parker, in the clip he played on on, uh, the Nat Turner film, uh, he had said that the film was connected to the worst period in American history and that, in my opinion, that period of history never stopped. It's just uh, transformed in appearance and it's been refined to a point that we can't even uh, understand anymore just how bad it really is in some cases, um, some of us anyway. And um, so I think that 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 whole statement gives the idea that somehow we're in a better place now than we were back then when in my opinion the only thing they did was take the physical shackles off but everything is exactly the same as it was any time in american history at this point in my opinion um also when you did play the song with solange and little wayne i actually thought it was a little wayne song so i'm glad you i uh, clarified that um and i do think i did get to uh hear the lyrics um but I never heard the song before, and I do, I could agree with you on that, that I think it is a counter-racist effort um, by Lil Wayne, and also I thought about what you spoke about in regards to him, uh, saying that he's never dealt with racism before. And um, recently he took a very, very brief retirement in regards to an ongoing uh, financial theft a informa- situation, excuse me, between himself and um, Beatty, who is uh, one of the two owners of his record label. And... um. I do remember when he came out with that statement about saying he never uh, dealt with racism. I think ASAP Rocky, if I'm not mistaken, was another rapper who came out and said the same thing. Um, And I thought about him specifically because um, he says that he's never dealt with racism, but the situation with Baby kind of spilled over due to the fact that he's had a horrible contract. He's been with him since he was about 10 years old, and um, he's been fighting to get the money that that is due him, I guess he feels is due him for the work that he's put in for the record label. And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, well, where did Baby get the idea to give him such a horrific contract in the first place? that's white people It's white supremacy you know it's not like these things happen in a vacuum he's following the historical model that has been set by white supremacists from the time that the music industry was created and they've always capitalized most off of black music and culture yet they also abuse and exploit those same black artists just as horrifically as our ancestors won the plantation so i just wanted to kind of chime in with those things i thank you for taking my call and i mute my line
16: Uh, Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
34: Oh, okay. <clears throat> um,
30: yeah, I, I have um, a few questions. Um, excuse me for since so long tune and stuff like that. Uh, one question I would like to ask is, is it uncodified, like, for Af- for non-white, you know, victims of racism who are black descendants of slaves, Is it uncodified for them to seek reparations in the form of nationhood, sort of like Israel got? Because, and the reason I asked that question, because, you know, according to the code, there is no country other than white supremacy. And in my opinion, what I see going on a lot, like when I'm listening to Hillary Clinton talk about how black grandmothers have to go through so much that she don't, does not have to go through. And when I see people protesting flags and, you know, things of that nature that represent white supremacy, it's like, and I could be wrong, but is just my opinion as a victim of racism. It seems like what white and non-white people are doing, it's just like playing the game, going in circles, stating the obvious. You know, where we know what's going to be the problem. We know, just from for me, myself, and speaking as, as, a, as a victim of racism in Alabama, I know that if we continue to live in the United States, or not even live in the United States, but be in the United States as, I know this is but just for lack of a better term, I do not have any other word to use for us to keep seeking integration is like, we're going to keep going in circles, going in circles, going in circles. And I think people are just playing games with us, you know, and, and I don't think the integration is for lack of a better term is playing games. I think that they're just going out there. They see a freedom, you know, to be accepted in the quote unquote United States for lack of a better term. But what's going on from my lens is people like state the obvious going in circles, but no one is asking for reparations in the form of nationhood. It's like that conversation has even became outdated, you know, and, you know, like you, you have your Dr. Umar, you have your, um, I say, um, uh, Tariq and, other people who do speak about certain things like that, but it's like the conversation is being drowned out about people that just want to speak about the problem but not talk about repairing the problem or uh, rep- reparations, you know, and I just want, would like to know is that uncodified uh-huh. to even seek? Reparations as a victim of rep-
16: as a victim of racism in the form of nationhood. Uh, in my view, and I mean, I observe uh, United Independent counter racism. So everybody does not have the exact same code uh, in terms of what they think the best thing to do or say uh, in responding mm-hmm. to racism, white supremacy. Uh, in mm-hmm. my view, I don't see anything uncodified or incorrect about uh, asking, making a request for uh, reparations uh, in the form of, quote-unquote, nationhood. I don't see anything incorrect or uncodified about it. Uh, I would say, uh, to me, it I don't think that would solve the problem. I'm not sure if you said that that would solve the problem, but just in my view, it would not solve the problem. Um, I think that mm-hmm. people, and for me, I think a lot of it comes down to just not grasping or articulating racism, white supremacy, what it is, how it works accurately. That you do not solve that problem with, quote-unquote, integration. You do not solve that problem with, in my view, quote-unquote, having our own nation. All of that would require white people to stop practicing racism and practice justice. They're not going to do that. So... Uh, In my view, if we had our own spot, if you're talking about a a piece of land, a geographic location, and this is our quote-unquote nation, these are the boundaries for it, and we'll just pile all the black folks here and right on, get to it, build your own thing. That would require whites are not going to practice racism against the black people in this area now that we are wherever we are, if that's someplace here in North America or wherever on the globe. They're still going to practice. I mean, there's tons of examples. Haiti, there's tons of examples of areas where they have black people and they say they have their own independent nation and they are still subject to the system of white supremacy. That's just the position that I've taken. So I wouldn't say there's anything incorrect about asking for it. You can certainly do that. There are people uh, Monday, (laughs) people that are putting out calls for reparations. Um, You're saying specifically in the form of a nation, right? Um, so I wouldn't say it's yeah. anything incorrect or uncodified about doing it. I just uh, I don't think that would solve the problem.
30: And see, the reason I noticed that because <clears throat> if you look at what's going on in the United States, and I'll be done after I say this. If you look at what's going on in the United States, just speaking for where we at right now, when you see people that are being killed or targeted by government sanctioned officials. For murder, you know, you would notice, it's like you can't help but notice, they'll rally people who come over here from Ethiopia who are being targeted by government sanctioned officials. It happens. I'm not saying it just never happens, but it doesn't happen so much that we just have Ethiopia fussing at the United States for killing Ethiopian citizens. Um, if you notice the same thing with um, Kenyans, the uh, same thing with Saudi Arabia, you would rarely even see an Arab get killed by police while unarmed. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it hap- It doesn't happen nowhere near it happens to the descendants of slaves. And I think, in my humble opinion, I think that it's because that those people have countries that they can go run to. They can go run to embassies. They can go run to different countries. And these countries can say, hey, we're not selling you no more coffee beans. We're not selling you no more gold. We're not selling you et cetera, et cetera. We're going to have sanctions against the United States, but we're going to, you know, self, you know, try to back up from the United States because why? They're killing our citizens too much. But when black people who are descendants of slaves are targeted by government-sanctioned officials outright, Murder, and sometimes they're not even government sanctioned officials. Sometimes they're just regular white citizens, like Dylan Roof. But we have no embassy we can run to, you know. And in my humble opinion, I don't like you said. I did not say that that would end the system of white supremacy, but it would stop stop us from being splattered all over the news every and each and every day that we're we're getting shot down. We're getting shot down. We're getting shot down. And to end my statement. It's not like I'm saying that all black people have to agree with, you know, reparations in the form of nationhood. Because the way I look at it, like, for the people who choose to integrate, they have that same right to integrate as we have to seek nationhood. Now, once we seek nationhood and the people who decide to stay, if they, two generations later, are continued to be splattered all over the screen, for being killed by government-sanctioned officials and private white citizens, and then two, three generations later, marching around, hands up, don't shoot, they have that prerogative to continue that cycle over and over and over and over and over again ad infinitum. But for those of us who would like to, how I say, put a Band-Aid on the wound and just, you know, at least, at least have a nation of our own where we could go seek, help, even the integrations who choose to say could even probably seek help from this nation of African-American slaves, um, you know, where we could, where we could have somewhere where we could say, hey, we're not selling you no more of our products that we make in our own nation because the way you're treating our people over there. You know, it, no country has ever stepped up and, and, and said that they will have sanctions on the United States for the treatment of African-Americans. And, I, like I said, I'm a victim, and I'm going to mute my line and continue to learn. And thank you guys for letting me um, speak my opinion.
16: Uh Other folks that we haven't heard from that y'all have uh, commentary?
35: Yes, may I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, greetings get to the rest of the callers. So I was coming home from school one day, and I overheard this white person talking about the clowns. Uh, the clowns are uh, scaring people. And if you don't know, the clowns, they're, 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 this month there's been a lot of creepy clowns that have been assaulting, almost killing, and scaring people, threatening schools, standing on, standing on highways, and roads, and stuff, just doing some crazy stuff. It's, just from my knowledge, it's mainly white people because you unmask them, you'll find that it's white people in makeup or masks. It's Costumes or whatever they're just scaring people we don't know if it's a joke or if it's serious. I think it's serious, but I heard heard him saying talking about that and he's just talking about how it how it brings them back to um the sixties or whatever when clowns were actually scary and people didn't like clowns it yeah but it was it was pretty it was pretty interesting what when they talked about it um also. I just wanted to let everybody know that um, Birth of a Nation is coming is coming out on Tuesday, and um, the group uh, Black Student Union, including me, we're going to see we're going to see that on Tuesday, and yeah, I'll let everybody know how how it goes and what what it is. But I found I find this this movie trailer interesting because it just brings me back to when the first slavery movie was to the first slavery movie I've ever saw, and I think it was Butler. And, yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to go this time, but I'll, I'll let you guys know. But that's all I wanted to share.
16: Thank you for taking my call. We will be looking forward to, uh, once you see the film, to get your, your observations and, and afterthoughts once you've seen it. And uh, if you write anything about it, uh, we can publish it uh, on the blog. That would be great. I'm sure other folks would like uh, hearing hearing uh, what you think about uh, Mr. Parker's project. Right on. Other folks have commentary they want to share? Should be with us if we haven't heard from you yet. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am.
29: Hello, Gus. Hello, caller. This is Ms. Meds, a dental assistant out in Portland, Oregon. Um, I wanted to... Answer. I think it was lady's question in New York about flyers. Um, well, we get those out here a lot. So uh, I mean, <laughs> there's at least a couple of them that happen a year, especially when the the weather is good, like um, in the springtime. I guess for what they don't like to put them out on people's cars when uh, it's raining, and you know they could bleed and people can't read them. But, uh, they often pop up in Beaverton, Hillsdale, um, Kualatin, uh, not, I haven't heard any in Portland. They're always like these kind of really white suburbs that are, um, not Portland. So it's always something that happens on the other side of the Willamette. Uh, not, not, not really, uh, New, I mean, it happens at least a couple times. I would say at least two to three times a year that I can keep track of. Um, moving on to something different. Uh, this week, um, actually, Gus, I was trying to email you about about something very frantically that I, I found out about last minute. Um, I'm an avid gamer, and there's this game called Mafia Three which just came out yesterday. Um, I didn't really think it was a big deal. Um, there's been a lot of a rash of games coming out with these black characters or black protagonists, and, you know, they really think, put, put too much thought into it. Yeah, so what? You know, they're painting people black now. Um, but I woke up and I saw the reviews, and it was just on fire for this game. And um, so I started looking into it and come to find out the reason why it is is blowing up is because it's about racism. This character, um this is a uh, Mafia 3 game again. This is the third installment of it. The other two were um pretty much about white Italian monsters. So there was outrage that they put this this black character in there. And um, the premise of the story is that uh, he is a Vietnam vet or uh, some sort of person with military background. He is on a racist rampage against white people. And in the game, he there's, like, people dressed in clans, outfits, and um, they actually, uh, you can take people to this river and uh, throw them in and get them... Eaten by alligators. This is and uh, based in Louisiana. So, uh, my mind was racing very frantically <laughs> to contact you about this because I um, did uh, go back in the archives, and you had a, uh, a past one about video games and racism. And I've got many stories to tell about that, but I um, you save that for another time. But I think that one was about Resident Evil Five. Um, and, uh, but this is a, this just came out yesterday, and um, I was going to email you about it because I, I did pick it up. Um, I do plan on playing it, um, but I also did some research into it. and um, the dev team is of course all white people that i could see and uh the the pattern that i've been noticing when they they're slapping these black characters on on these games is that they're claiming diversity in the game but then yet you're not practicing that in your in your business there's no black developers there's no black uh writers there's no black uh artists none of that um so i found that to be interesting and uh when i was doing a looking for a, a review um i also emailed you a, uh, a a video of these two white guys who were trying so hard to explain racism one of them was like an english guy and the other one was just like your typical bearded white male hipster of- who knows, could be a Portlander, anyway, and they were just, you know, racism is just so hard, and and this is just a heavy topic, and, uh, you know, these type of issues, we should just bury them, and uh, they also said at the end of the video that white people would think that the game is telling them that they are a racist, not their behavior the game is going to tell them that they're a racist. <laughs> so I emailed you that video. Do what you want with it. Maybe use it for next week's good news story. Um, I'm sure there will be lots of videos and commentary coming from white people because that's pretty much all there is in the gaming community. There's not very much representation with anybody else other than white cis males. Um, but I was trying to contact you to find out if it would be okay if I let people know uh, where they could watch this if they wanted to. Uh, yeah.
16: uh If you, sure. If you, um, I don't yeah, whatever you had in mind if you want to let people know how they can watch it.
29: Okay, cool. Um, I have a, a Twitch account um, on um, Twitch. It's called, um, tw- um, I'll just, Twitch.tv slash Medicinal Gamer. That's T-W-I-T-C-H dot TV slash M-E-D-I-C-I-N-A-L Gamer. And I'll pretty much start Mafia 3 uh, momentarily after the compensatory. So people don't have to pay for it. I'm I'm an enthusiast. And when I heard about it, I, I had to hop out of bed and go grab it. So, um... That's where I was emailing
16: you about, guys. Right. When I got the email and uh, I'm on your site, I'll put it on our Facebook page so people can check it out there if they are so interested. I think Thomas in New York had emailed about this game. There seemed to be some build up, uh like people knew that racism was going to be a component of the game. So they were already kind of talking uh, about it in a controversial mm-hmm. way, I think, within the last month. Maybe right at kind of the end of summer, I think some of the reports started coming yeah, out. Yeah. It. it
29: was actually from August that mm-hmm. little clip that I sent you. Um it was funny the uh I went and snagged a couple reviews. Uh maybe I can read a couple later in the program.
16: Absolutely. Absolutely.
29: All right, sweet. I'll mute my line.
16: Appreciate that. Uh other folks that we have not heard from, if you had commentary you wanted to share uh, feel free. Your line should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
24: Yes. Um, this is Jay, uh, Jay out of New York. Um, greetings to, uh, you Gus, uh, the cows callers and listeners. I'm a first time caller. Um, I've been listening to the archives here for the last, uh, I would say three to four weeks. And, uh, thanks for the constructive platform. It's been kind of lonely before getting connected here. Um, just wanted to reach out in reference to the context of the uh, show. And I missed the earlier part, uh, this um, the first hour. But uh wanted to let the family know that um, my 96-year-old grandmother in Haiti, we actually found her just uh, yesterday um, and my aunt and some other family members. So with all the stuff that is going on, uh, we were able to kind of come out and get some positive news with the activities going on in the world today. So um, just wanted to share that with the family. And then also kind of reach out to everybody and say uh, all the best to those suffering in the different areas in the Bahamas and Jamaica, Haiti, and even some of the coastal areas here in the US. So uh, shout to everybody on that. And um, what else did I have here? Oh, I did want to touch on the Facebook Portion of things and all the, I'm not sure if they call it the, the screenshots or the, um, the pray for Paris, pray for Orlando, and definitely the differentiation between when it happens to non-white people, how there is no consideration. I, I expect it from Facebook, um, but the thing that I find a bit disturbing is the non-white victims um, that are out there posting the post for Par- um, pray for Paris, pray for Orlando. And when something happens of tragic nature um, to the, um, the non-white black individual across the globe, it's amazing how quiet it is um, you know in different areas or pray for anything. Uh, but it's just amazing to me as I see that, just the contrast even from from the non-white, uh, black individuals kind of out there, not even able to just even share the news from that perspective. And the fee- I don't know if it's fear, or I don't know if it's just um, just a disconnect with one another, uh, but that's one thing that i found to be pretty disturbing, um, how quickly people are ready to just post, pray for Paris, pray for Orlando. But when it comes to something that's kind of hitting close to home, like family members or even neighbors, next door neighbors that they know, um, they want to be kind of come out and just, just make a mention of it. Um, but I guess it just kind of falls right in line with the victimization that we've, we've gone through for many years. Um, and, and I think that's kind of all I had. I had some other things about uh, some of the loving um, story that you talked about in the archives. I saw some things on Facebook, but, um, but I'll mute my line and kind of speak to that later on after some other folks touch base on it.
16: Appreciate that, and and absolutely, uh, that is phenomenal uh, about your grandmother. I'm super glad to hear that, and and just echo again your your thoughts uh, and prayers uh, with folks who are in the impacted region. But extremely glad to uh, hear the good news about your grandmother. Um, other folks that we have not heard from, if you're on the line, we haven't heard from you. Uh, feel free. May I be heard? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, I
6: wanted to tell uh, you about an observation I had this week, and it's pretty much with the elections, how they pander towards the black vote, and how like the black vote is sacred. And, like, it, during the debates, so it's like half about the black votes, and, I mean, they don't talk anything about anything. It's pretty much all about the black vote. And, like, if if you like the same people that pander towards the black vote, they hate black lives matter. It's like all lives matter, but they don't say all votes matter. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's the only time that they actually act like we got any power after we vote for whoever we vote for. They knock us over the head for four years. But for that moment during this election, if you look, they don't, the Italians don't complain. Like they're pandering towards blacks only. Like, they do with Black Lives Matter or anything else. I mean, no branch or or group of any white people says, you know, they're pandering towards black people, black both. But when it comes to Black Lives Matter or anything, you know, constructive for for black people, it's like, oh, no, all lives matter. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, just one of those things that
16: I noticed this week.
6: And I'll mute my line.
16: Interesting. we had some of that in the audio clip uh, to begin things today. Uh other folks that we have not heard from, did you have commentary? Hello, can I be heard? uh go ahead, puff, yes, ma'am.
30: Yes, the only
22: thing I want to say is uh the the man that just spoke that uh he found his grand. I hope your grand do well.
30: That's all I want to say.
16: I say well said uh. There are other folks that we have not, anybody else that we have not heard from at all that you have commentary? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am.
25: Greetings, guys. Greetings, everybody. Um, I'll be short, but um, I wanted to, like, I'm a non-white female. I'm a black woman. And uh, I know there's, like, a lot of controversy regarding what Nate Parker allegedly did. Um, but just based off of my observations and the semi-excitement I heard at the beginning when, people, when his movie first um, became known that it was going to come out and pretty much how black people are responding to the movie now. And no one is saying it's because of the alleged rape allegation, but people just black people seem really apathetic about it. Um, when I'm like asking people about it, some people don't even know what it is, don't even know what the story of it is. And I think that the racist white supremacists have been really effective in um, dissipating the energy. Because it, I don't, to be honest, I don't, I don't know what he did. I don't like. I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that Nat Turner's um, rebellion has been put in a movie. I don't care if it's 100% accurate, historically accurate. Um, there's so many historical movies that are not. Um, historically accurate and no one seems to have a problem. For instance, one of the things I thought about was 300. That's based off of, like, loosely based off of something that happened in history, but I'm pretty sure no one had a problem that that main Spartan supposedly went to war because of some love he had for his wife. Or his son, but people seem to have a problem that Nat Turner's rebellion, uh, like he decided to do that because his wife was a, in the movie gang raped, and they're like, well, that's not historically accurate. And I think who cares? I also think that that's a kind of a powerful, um, I don't want to call it a motif, but a powerful thing to say, like, well, Nat Turner might have started this rebellion because his wife was gang raped by these white men, and he was so he was like F this and everything like that. Like, I think that that's good. Um, and so I, I'm not getting into any of that. I don't know. Like I, I'm not. Just to be honest, um, I haven't codified my money spending all like that. So I can't sit here and say, well, I'll never pay for a movie, and since I'll never pay for a movie, I won't see that. But I think that that's kind of powerful. I think Birth of a Nation is powerful in its own right and i'm excited to see it i do want to see it and i'm really sad because i've even spoken to some black people who were like well i don't want to see it because it would make me mad and i'm thinking that might be why he made the movie you know or that might be a good thing you know and instead black people around the people that i've spoken with it could just be my circle i could be mistaken um, but just think quite apathetic about it. And I think that that's just crazy when there's so many slave movies that everyone is running to, you know, people will sit and say that 12 years of Slave was something great. And I think that that's horrible. I, I even thought the acting was horrible. I thought the production was horrible, you know, just, it wasn't even original you know, to me. It wasn't, but anyway, I just wanted to say that because someone else had mentioned birth of the nation. I haven't seen it, but it, I think the racist white supremacists were kind of effective in um, dissipating the energy or the excitement that black people could have had for a movie like that. Um, there was a clip that you played earlier, Gus, about, uh, I think in Canada, where they call it like nigger rock or something like that. And people some people want to change it. And the, the man that was speaking said that he didn't. I don't know if anyone else has talked about it. Um, on the, on the show right now, but I kind of agree with him. I think that it might be good to leave things uh, like the certain places, names like this. Like I know in, in Florida there's a place called like Coonsville or something like that. And I think like if we change the names now, I think that benefits racist white supremacists more than it benefits um, non-white black people I think because it pretty much is like well this is something good that you know this is what a racist white person is to say well you know we've changed the names things have changed when in fact nothing has changed It just the name was changed and I kind of like not not to say that I liked it but I agreed with what he said was logical like if we leave it then it um it links us back to history like it reminds us of pretty much what was but kind of what still is um and I I really do think the changing of the names benefits the racist white supremacists a little bit more than it would benefit us. Um, and then uh, just I, there wasn't any like particular news clip on this, but it's something that I've been kind of paying attention to. Cause I think I might've listened to the compensatory call from last week on the 1st of October. And someone might've mentioned like the importance of being serious. And I do like, I'm, I'm paying a lot more attention to that. And it's, it's kind of um, urgent, honestly, because whenever we do talk about racism, it's always from a joking, a joking perspective. And I, I do get that because we've been so traumatized and we deal with so much and it's so hurtful and I think kind of scary at the same time that you've had out we, we smile to keep from crying, but um, the, we do get to be quite serious about, you know, what's going on with us and what time we're living in. Um, but one thing that I heard, uh, I was in the, I was in an Aldi and I was in line and I was in a I was, I'm in D.C., so it was, I was all-black Audi pretty much, which was awesome. Um, and some people were talking, you know, they're being frank, no white people are around. And the things that they were saying, they were like, well, you know, they had, I thought, like a, a deeper understanding of the riots than I've heard some other people mention, pretty much that, you know, racist white supremacists want us to riot. So then when we riot, they can practice their skills. And um, use that to enact like a martial law and then control us and then inevitably, inevitably um, you know, lock more of us up or something like that. And that kind of, like, not that that made me happy because that kind of thing shouldn't make me happy, but I was grateful or something like that to hear um, more conversation that was not like so eager to say, yeah, let's just go out and riot, let's just do this, let's just do, there was a little bit more, it was more like chess than like checkers I felt like that conversation was like okay well we're thinking a little bit more you know strategically and not just being so impulsive Um, and those are just a few of my that's my commentary for the evening thank you for taking my call I'll go ahead and meet myself
16: Grant appreciated that Uh, are there any other folks that we have not heard from any other folks that we have not heard from at all did you all have commentary can I be heard? Yes, sir.
28: Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I actually saw the um, Birth of a Nation, and I just wanted to say that the movie was phenomenal. Uh, I've been, and so after I saw it, I've been looking up reviews, and I've been noticing that a lot of the reviews they're actually they're saying that they're um, that it's not historically accurate. And also like what the young lady what the lady what the uh lady said she said um, that they're angry that i guess a black woman uh that a a black woman being raped started it but also something that i've uh, been seeing in some of the reviews is that um I'm assuming white people are actually i guess disturbed or not disturbed but i guess kind of nervous because he pointed out that some of the that uh basically he used the scriptures to like scriptures in the bible to um justify his uh to justify the rebellion and not only that and on the same token i noticed that no one was like no one who was pointing that out pointed out how the slave uh the slave masters used uh used the the bible to um basically did the same thing used the bible to justify slavery i noticed that also um another point i want to hit quickly the The point about the uh, video games, those they get so like white people get so angry about video games. I remember when uh, when you change the like when you change the characters, even if it's in a setting that is normally mostly black. Like I remember when uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas came out, and people this was like what thirteen years ago, and the people were so angry that uh that somehow a black guy was the protagonist in a uh, in a game that's set in Compton, like South Central LA, it, I thought that was uh, phenomenal, and I think that's that's all I had.
16: Right on, right on. Uh, let's see, any any other folks uh, who we have not heard from at all? Anybody else who had commentary they wanted to get in? Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
14: Awesome. Okay, just a second here. All right. Okay, this is uh, Ken Steele from Chicago, and uh, I just wanted to start off by um, uh, tagging on the last comment that was made regarding video games. Uh, I remember when San Andreas, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, (coughs) was in high school at the time. And the reaction by my classmates, I went to a a mostly white high school in a rural part of uh, Northern Michigan. And my classmates um, to be expected were um, very against uh, the decision to set this in Compton to have a, a black lead. And then when it came out, I noted it was very funny that, uh, Some of them made the comment that um, the previous Grand Theft Autos were acceptable because they knew that this was some sort of fantasy. However, they said in this installment, San Andreas, that It was too frightening because it seemed so real. Like uh, they apparently would walk around and and bump into other black people and get into fights with all the uh, non-playable characters and everything. And they thought that this was an exact uh, replication of reality. And I thought that that was very startling and revealing. Even my uh, math teacher at the time, uh, he was uh, giving daily updates about um, his goings-on in the game and how disturbed he was by the game. And this was going on for about a month solid. So um, I, I definitely remember that anytime they put black lead characters in video games, yes, these white people will go, um, will take serious note of that, and it definitely does alter their behavior uh, tremendously. Now, um, I also wanted to mention... A um, uh, caller earlier, I believe it was Thomas from New York, he mentioned uh, the use of amphetamines by uh, white people, um, and that being
16: the new uh, crack epidemic. Your uh, volume dropped and went really low, sir. Your volume is really low. Uh, Ken, we can barely hear you. Uh, I will see if we can get his volume situation corrected because I was having difficulty uh, hearing him, uh, hopefully. Uh, I'll message him and see if he can dial back in and kind of pick up where he left off at. Um, Is Anybody else that we have missed, anyone else that we have missed completely uh, has not been able to share?
32: Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Yes, this is uh, the caller from New Orleans. I was just calling because I wanted to touch on the Nate Parker, um, I guess, ongoing drama that continues to be brought up. I get a little bit discouraged now when I hear um, most black people, uh, I guess, trying to I guess make excuses for white people to continue to attack him over this. I'm not going to see the movie because I'm just tired of these types of movies coming out. I understand um, that this particular movie is taking a different angle at um, shedding light to this particular um, part of our history when it comes to black people um, in rebellion. But I'm I'm just kind of um, just tired of seeing these movies and um, either the person is um, married to Becky or it's being financed from some group of white people that a lot of us may not know about. And I'm just tired of us just getting the okie doke and I just feel like it's, um, I don't know. We, we just uh, don't really see the bigger picture. Like, we don't see the forest before the trees. So I, I just refuse to um, um, try and support any of these uh, types of movies. But um, uh, but I'm also disturbed, too, like how some, uh, at least some of uh Uh, females, uh, black females that I encounter, uh, whether I discuss online or in, like, other chat rooms and stuff, how they just uh, gravitated to this narrative of um, feminism and some of the stuff that um, they say in regards to him. I mean, we still haven't seen any uh, information as regards to the transcript from the trial, any any substantial amount of documents and stuff, and it's like the the clip that you played with him on the bre- Breakfast Club was quite honestly the first time of me even hearing him speak, because that's how much I've just been trying to avoid even hearing about it, because I'm just tired of the feminist uh, BS along with it um, from black females, and but. I just uh the more I listen to him now, it, it just it's just apparent that somebody like that, um, being a black male in this type of climate, uh, for him to be uh found or acquitted uh for this um uh, crime or charge or however you want to put it, and the fact that he was just adamant about it and then What's the name from Good Morning America? I think that kind of just did it for me because I'm just tired of them trying to find one of us to try and be the 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 attack dog for for white supremacy and I just I don't know, it's it's just frustrating to watch but I, I guess it's to be expected
12: For
16: sure For sure uh, I think, uh, Kent, are you back with us? Uh, did you get your audio issues? Today? Yes, grand. Yes, I am. You dropped. Ended, out, uh, you dropped out white when you were going to uh, Thomas's point about uh, Adderall uh, and that being like. The, oh yeah. Grand. Okay, so
14: um, uh, like I mentioned earlier in my call, um, I was, uh, I guess, raised in a mostly white school district. And uh, throughout my education teachers tried to classify me as uh, ADHD and uh, give me these amphetamine pills uh, that have become really popular and uh, thankfully my parents resisted Uh, they never allowed that classification to uh, stick or me to try those pills and I held on to that perspective of uh, taking those pills um, throughout college even. Um, That's when it seemed to really explode. I started noticing that a number of my uh, peers were using and abusing uh, Adderall um, in the different uh, forms that it could be taken, and eventually some of them took to crushing it up and snorting it. Um, i don't know if that made it more effective or whatever but um that's what became fashionable uh, while i was at uh michigan state university now after i graduated i got into corporate america and found myself uh in a pretty um a pretty demanding position and uh my mentors uh pushed me into uh trying uh and eventually using uh amphetamines and they pushed me to a doctor that was specifically there for it appeared to be young corporate people because anytime i was in the waiting room there were other young uh 20 to mid 30 somethings waiting in line to get scripts for what i assume uh was amphetamines And I was uh, prescribed uh, an amphetamine called Vyvanse. And I took this for a year. And I have to say that um, it turned me into what I would describe. uh, It it just altered my personality in ways that I don't think uh, were constructive. And on top of that, um, I I may have had dependency issues, but I was just so um, kind of repulsed by the side effects after a year that um, I had no problem, um, uh, just, uh, quitting cold Turkey. I, uh, I didn't even have to, uh, do the whole dramatic flushing them down the toilet or anything like that, or throwing them away. I just have no desire to even feel the effects. Um, the, I think part of the reason was that, uh, the formula that they gave me, Five um, synthesized in your genome. So I would get uh, really bad stomach aches whenever I would have to uh, take this stuff. So um, eventually, I just uh, decided to quit. But I've seen people kind of go off the deep end, and they are still uh, using amphetamines. And um, it becomes kind of a, a daily habit for, for users. And I can definitely see this um, becoming a a serious health problem uh, down the line as more and more people uh, become addicted to this stuff and are unable to uh, get the have the resources to get scripts for it, um, and, and that's just something that I will report about that. But uh, also, I, I wanted to um, report on also uh, with respect to uh, drugs. There was a report uh, of. The newscaster that quit her job by announcing it on the air, I don't know if you guys remember this, but two years ago, uh, a non-white female um, in Alaska uh, was a newscaster, and she quit her job, um, said, I believe, at this job, and um, she started a a dispensary. I think she announced her plans to start the dispensary on the air. And um, she's... uh, The article that I found was on USA Today and in the article, she's pictured with the co-founder, a person by the name of Peter LaMonaco, who appears to be a white person, Um, and she's appearing uh, to be smoking marijuana with this person. And it seems to be that she is now facing um, 54 years in prison because of her involvement in the operation of this cannabis club. Uh, And mind you, this is, uh, I believe, six months before uh, the recreational use of uh, marijuana was legalized in the state of Alaska. So she's making an argument that uh, she uh, did not break any of the rules, but I wanted to note to Uh, Listeners that uh, regardless of what these states are saying, um, federal law still prohibits uh, the possession and the uh, distribution and the uh, manufacturing of
1: uh, marijuana.
14: So regardless of how many white people you see making untold millions of dollars on TV Um, I don't think it is a good idea to uh, get involved with the marijuana trade at this point. And on top of that, if you are going to be involved with marijuana, please don't announce your plans to do so on television. It just seems to me um, a move that just uh, angers white supremacists. They will uh, take these announcements as a challenge, and then they will go ahead and – proceed to meet your challenge uh, with um, extreme forces. We're seeing in this case, she reports that um, she interprets her treatment as a modern day lynching, and that she feels that she has been abandoned by those in the uh, legalization community um, uh, as her charges uh, become more serious. So I, I just wanted to report on that. And then also, um, Uh, if we could uh,
16: hold, hang on one second just to make sure we get everybody uh, in. We have one more person that hasn't shared at all, and then we'll see if we have some extra time. Uh, Anyone that we have not heard from at all uh, have commentary? Have you
36: heard? Yes, sir. Um, Yes, thank you, sir. Uh, Greetings to uh, the hosts, the listeners, and callers. Uh, I, I thank you. Was a part of the audio segment where it mentioned cold words, and I think the term Skittles and I think Google and Yahoo was being used like that. That's very interesting because I haven't really heard those terms, I guess, being used in a racial way. And uh, yeah, I would, I would like to definitely look up some more of that. Is there any kind of uh, way to, I guess, see who? Uh, maybe came up with using those words? Was it any white people? Do you know that, Gus?
16: I have never heard the term Google used like as a substitute for nigger uh, or as some sort of coded way of talking about black people. I'm unfamiliar with that. And I don't remember them having like a link uh, for like, you know, this is when, like uh, an etymology of this. Like this is the first recorded instance uh, we have of someone using the term Google or this is, you know, uh, just to give more detail uh, about when all these came together and if it's a specific person that they know was the one that kind of came up with some of these codes. Uh, I didn't see all that additional information, but that would be, you know, something uh, noteworthy to check out. Uh, could I uh, say something? Um, Encyclopedia Dramatica. If you Google
14: Encyclopedia Dramatica, you can see a number of um, racist means and racist codes being discussed. Documented and reported by suspected white supremacists um, in real time. So that's something that uh, that's a resource that could be of some constructive value.
36: Oh, okay. Because it's very interesting for, uh, for victims to to catch up on the new use of uh, language and how they can distort it for their uh, evil purposes. And there, there was a uh I think somewhere in Wisconsin, it was a Wisconsin college, they have this hoodie where it says all white people are racist and it's a it's like a black male holding up a W and when I read the article uh it was it was also saying stuff like I guess they were releasing this uh brand line of hoodies and one said you can't be Revolutionary and homophobic, and you can't end the system without, uh, you know, fighting patriarchy. So, I don't know. It may be a, a white person behind this, but that's the that was the title of the article about hoodies saying that all white people are racist. Um, and it was a it was another article about, I guess, uh, Portland State. It was three white people I think on a flyer but on a report it had their faces blurred out and um they were going around speaking to a bunch of people on the campus and you know they were saying you know uh I guess they they knew these students and they were saying well some of these things that they were saying which is very racist in these caricatures that they uh used I guess um mocking black people of course um so, but it's like, they didn't want to reveal their names, you know, they just kept showing the flyers saying, we don't allow races here. But like, nobody knows who, like nobody knows who put the flyers up. But the, you know, the reporters, the people that interview, you know, all of them, they really weren't trying to uh, condemn their uh, racist practices, but they knew about them. So. It definitely didn't showcase any ignorance, and uh, there there was a it was a last one where I think it was down in Louisiana, um, Monroe, Louisiana. Is this black mayor? Black mayor? I think his last name is Mayo. Like it's it's like this picture on the uh, article I read where it's like a spray painted like drawing of the mayor and uh, what appears to be President Obama and like they're turned around like it's on the back of this uh, white white guy's shirt and it says um, I forgot what it said at the top but you know they had it was like a cartoon of the two of them and like their pants was sagging so you know I guess um, some suspected race soldier painted this shirt and it was a guy wearing it like they didn't show who the guy was but you know it's like it's it's amazing how even this is a uh, a mayor of a a town and people you know still look at him with with contempt so which is not surprising and uh
16: that's uh all that i have right now thank you fascinating still just going to be another nigger i'm sure they've made some uh brand new racist slurs uh for him as well uh Anybody else that we missed? Anybody who's not been able to share at all? We got everybody. No misses.
34: Yes, Tom Yurt. Yes, sir. Please, the guys, all the listeners and callers. Um, so yeah, I was supposed to share uh, my vacation back in August. Um, me, my sister my two sisters and my fiance, we went to Vegas and, um, on the first day we were walking outside. We were, uh, one hotel away from the hotel, um, Dallies. And, um, there was a non-white, uh, black female outside. And was like, um, how would you guys like to make, uh, $25 or oh, $20 or something like that. So we're like, all right, what, what's the gimmick? She was like, um, all you guys have to do is watch TV. She was like, um, It takes about uh, 20 to uh, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And she was like, "Um, you guys get paid at the end. So we're we're like, what's the gimmick? She's like, it's nothing. That's all you do. So we go and um, they show, it's like a a screening for new new shows that's going to come out. And you get to vote if you think that it should go go on TV or not. And um, (laughs) it's, We saw an episode of, uh, well, a new um, CSI. It's called You Vote. So I guess, like, the the viewers at home, you get to vote on um, what you feel um, you saw in the episode or whatever. And this particular one, it was about um, some white guy having a Confederate flag up, and he's uh, protesting about guns and stuff like that. And he has a, a sign outside his store that says no Muslims or something like that. And it's a uh, Islamic guy who, who wants to get, um, done training, but he denies them. So the guy, the Islamic guy is taking him to court. He's trying to sue him. And, uh, like, basically that he's saying, uh, well, uh, he has the right, um, by freedom of speech to put up the sign and say, um, no, um, ex- ex- extreme terrorists or something like it's something to that effect. But, um, we went about two or three times. Every time we went, it was uh, something totally different. We went three days in a row. Every day we went, it was something totally different. But every last one of them was was, was basically about racism. They had another one um, called Superstore or Super Shop, where you had a non white, uh, non black Asian, a female who's 16 years old, pregnant, and she works in a supermarket. She's very ignorant, uh, like extremely slow. She don't know how to do her job. Then they have another non-white, non-black person in a wheelchair. Then they have this black guy who's like the the jokester of the store. It was just crazy. But um, (laughs) we basically gave it bad reviews and, and was honest about everything because you have to go through like um they'll ask questions at the end like do you think this guy was racist what do you think about this character um how would you rate this do you think that it should go on tv um basically you rate it and you get paid at the end so that was something i forgot to share with you guys and
16: uh yeah that's pretty much it i'm mute. fascinating hmm. um um I think we might have nabbed all of the callers, thank goodness, because we were getting close to the end. Um, One thing I did want to make sure I got in, uh, I thought it was really important, the section with Nate Parker from The Breakfast Club, when he was talking about how people tried to discourage him from doing a project on uh, Nat Turner, they said, well, why don't you do a film on John Brown? (laughs) Bad, I mean... (laughs) Hugely important for many reasons. If you recall, when the second time Dick Gregory was a guest on our program, a part of him uh, becoming upset and leaving was around John Brown and comparing those two historic figures. But uh, one of our investors commented that W.E.B. Dubois, uh, in his academic career, he wanted to write about Nat Turner. Whites did the same Thing. They came in and were like, "Oh my god, no way uh why don't you uh, why don 't you do John Brown? Yes, everyone loves John Brown, and that ended up being the person that he wrote about, and I mean just that sort of continued effort where they know, and just that 's the sort of thing that I think you should think about every time you hear someone white or black, anyone else who says that you know black people are cowards." Black people are chumps. We've never fought back. That's why we keep having these problems, because we are just the biggest lames in the world. And white people can just do whatever they want to us and treat us terrible, and we just take it because we're just lames. Uh, That's the sort of thing that you should keep in mind, that there has been a concerted racist effort to make sure that we do not know about the litany, because it's not just Nat Turner, the litany of black people who have fought back, including killing individuals classified as white to try to solve this problem. That was number one. Also, this reminds me a lot of spook who sat by the door in terms of the different done in a different manner, but the same effect to suppress the number of people who could see birth of a nation spook who sat by the door reminds me of that a lot. And since both films dealt with black counter violence, um, also reminds me a lot of just the comparison those two projects and the way that people continue to gush about Django Unchained, which I despised as well. The female caller that talked about, um, 12 Years a Slave. That's another slave, uh, flick that I did not enjoy. Um, there was one other thing I was going to make sure that I got in. Um, I'll leave it. I'll see if I can do it quick since the caller, Ken Steele in Chicago, since he mentioned the black female, Uh, And her problems. I'll see if I can do the lineup for people who appreciate context, of white supremacy and think you get some constructive information should be pleased. We will be on the air starting Monday. We'll be on every day for roughly two weeks. Uh, Very active uh, for October. So I think I have the lineup memorized uh, what it's supposed to be. So Monday. Uh, will be here. Uh, Natasha Marin, she's a black female right here in Washington State. She did the website. It got a lot of attention kind of the end of the summer. Uh, It's for reparations, uh, where if you're a black person, you can log on and just put down things that you need. uh, Things, whatever your request is, and then see if whites would be willing to help you obtain that. It got a lot of attention. She should be here on Monday, uh, so-called Columbus Day. They changed it here to Indigenous People Day. That's Monday. Uh, Tuesday, uh, the black female that was mentioned facing 54 years of prison time, uh, she uses the handle Charlo Green to talk online. She should be here on Tuesday to talk about what is happening to her, her endeavors with cannabis in Alaska, where it has been legalized. Uh, And I told her up front, my view, that I did not think legalizing was going to stop this sort of thing from happening to black people. So she already knows uh, Gus's stance Wednesday, Anthony Morgan. He's a black male. Uh, he works in law in Canada. Uh, he should be here to talk about what's been happening with white supremacy in Canada. Thursday is workplace racism. Friday, the book club, uh, Sam Greenley's Spookoo sat by the door. Second to last session Saturday, a uh, week from today, compensatory call in, uh, the following uh, week from tomorrow would be the global Sunday talk on racism. Uh, the next day, that would be Monday, October 19th, a uh, white woman, she wrote that report uh, that was in the Washington Post and a few other places saying explicitly that whites do not want black professors at their historically white institutions. And she spells out all the reasons why, how they have code words, when they just don't want to hire any negros, uh how they will, you know, break the rules and do whatever they want to get white people in. They will make any excuse and every obstacle to keep Nigras out. She'll be here Monday Uh, Tuesday, the white author of Blood at the Root, uh, which deals with the racial cleansing that happened in Forsyth County, Georgia, the same county where the white teacher was calling uh, First Lady Michelle Obama a monkey. Uh, That county, his book just came out, Blood at the Root, uh, just within the past few weeks. He'll be here on Tuesday the 18th. Uh, The next day, Wednesday the 19th. So that's a week from this coming Wednesday. Uh, Who's coming on that day? a black person uh, to black person. I just can't remember who it is at the top of my head. Uh, and then Charles Woods at the end of that week uh, on Sunday. I know a lot of people were familiar with his work on uh, television, entertainment, racism in Hollywood. Uh, he should be here at the end of the week. So that's like two weeks from tomorrow, Sunday, October 23rd. I think that should be everybody coming for the next two weeks starting Monday. Uh, every day it's normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for all of the programs except the compensatory call-ins but we should be very uh active over the next two week period or so we'll be looking forward to it um any other folks have anything quickly they needed to make sure they get in before we uh move forward um can i be heard yes sir uh
14: yeah i just wanted to um tag on to an announcement that I think you made uh, two weeks ago regarding uh, the dissemination of fake news on social media. Um, The people who are in charge of uh, putting out fake news are becoming very, very sophisticated with the means with which they are presenting this fake news. One way that they are now circumventing Facebook's attempts to limit the exposure of their sites is to write articles as contributors to pages that allow you to contribute uh, as, a, as a freelancer. Um, they use sites like Medium and Huffington Post and Mike to give more, uh, I guess, uh, credibility to the stories that they post on these pages that are being tagged as uh, fake news sites. So um, be very, very careful about the sources that you are citing uh, when posting news. I post news regularly on Facebook, uh, in my group, and on my page. And one thing that I've noticed is that if you do not um, take the time to read uh, some of these seemingly credible sources of information, um, you could be uh, spreading some fake news or uh, deliberately false news um, to uh, unwittingly. So be very, very careful about the sources that you uh, pick um, to uh, get your news from. And uh, I guess that's all.
16: Amen. Advised scrutiny. Um, I guess the female caller that was talking about the game situation. Did you want to share uh, one quick portion before we get ready to wrap things up? If she's still with us,
29: yes. Um, May we hear? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, just real quick. Uh, I guess I'll ask you while I'm on the line. Perhaps we could get the uh, person who was responsible for Mafia Three. Um, The lead dev, his name is Hayden Blackman, and he's a white person. Um, I've also noticed in my brief research, when they were uh, taking um, reviews or being interviewed, they were all being interviewed by white people. So I think it would be good to have them on the program So some black people can ask them some questions and they can tell us how we're supposed to feel about racism since he is in charge of uh, the development and the story. Um, Real quick, I can get to some of these reviews. Uh, Some of these came from Steam, the PC version of the game, but regardless, some of them came from YouTube. Um, You can kill racist blanks, the KKK in this game. Can't get better than that. 10 out of 10. I already love this game. When I first heard James Brown, I feel good on the radio. I knew this was the game for me. And the fact that they're not influenced by political correctness amazes me. It shows, how, shows good and bad qualities of the era. This whole game is racist against whites. I, for one, will be killing every black citizen I see and killing as few whites as I can. I can't wait to beat up a few racist KKK losers. I'm going to mash their heads into the pavement with great enthusiasm. I also look forward to playing Mafia 3 when it's released. Black Rambo revenge story. Crazy taxi driving? Shooting with one hand? This should be a Mafia game, not some cheap copy of GTA. Why can't I play like white boy? This is racism shit. (laughs) Um, The only problem with this game is the extreme boring plot about racial revenge and racism. I wonder what they'll do next. A mafia game about feminist criminals taking revenge against men? Of course, this is just more diversity shilling by the left will not be buying this cucked game. Rest in peace, Mafia. The first thing a new dev company does is it give it a non-white character and act like it's normal. Yeah, okay. I think they, they type in just blocks. I think it cool. The only reason most are mad about this game is the main guy is black. That it. And a few pros I picked up where they just write pros and cons of the game. Um, Pro. Stores reject you because you're black. Another pro was I like riding around in the cars. The coloreds call you nigger. And that's all I have. If you want to check out, if you want to check out Mafia Three, we're playing it after the compensatory. Medicinal Gamer on Twitch, Twitch.tv slash Medicinal Gamer.
16: Wow, what a hoot! Uh, Switch on over. You can check her Facebook page or my Facebook page. Excuse me, you'll see her uh, Twitch.tv account. You can check the link and go watch her play this racist game. Um, I will email Mr. Blackman and see if he's willing to come speak with us. Uh, Yeah,
29: or maybe someone else on the dev team as well, because they're all white people.
16: Right on. We'll see if we can make it happen. I will enjoy my last day off tomorrow before we get busy for the next, whatever it is, 14, 15 days. Allison Manswell, that was the name I forgot, Uh, she'll be here October 19th. Uh, She wrote the book, Listen Up. This is a black female who wrote a whole book about workplace racism. I played an audio clip of her back this summer. It was right after the shootings with uh, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, kind of mid-July. But they played a segment talking about how to deal with some of these issues on the job. But she wrote a whole book. She should be here the 19th. Uh, If you have problems, gripes, guest suggestions, feel free, drop us an email, and we will try to get it cleared up For you promptly until justice at I did see some of the Luke Cage animated series that came out. I did see that that generated a lot of hubbub. Uh, It was, uh, I think it's it's well done. It's, I guess, some black people got an opportunity to work and show their skills and what have you. Always great to see some uh, very attractive uh, black females. Uh, But there's a lot of anti-blackness, at least in my opinion. Um, I saw one person, they said they watched like six episodes in one day. Like, I had a tough time. (laughs) I think uh, it took me like a week to get through uh, six episodes. It's just a lot of anti-blackness, seeing black people fighting and killing other black people in a very uh, vulgar, graphic manner frequently. Uh, and even like the corrupt whites somehow end up having like mourners who just love them, and the whole nine. Like uh, just a lot of anti-blackness. Like there's some positive elements in it as well. I can see where they try to bring out racism and some other aspects. But you have to, you have to digest a lot of anti-blackness if you're going to uh, watch the series. At times, I, I felt myself saying that this cannot be that much different from Empire. I'll just leave that and folks can share a thought or two uh, if they have seen the series. We'll be here Monday and every day following Monday for a while. So just stay tuned. You can see all the program times at blacktalkradionetwork.com. dot uh, com. with that. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Saturday evening. I will again remind folks sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. War is being waged against non-white people, black people in particular, worldwide, in all areas of people activity. You want your counter-racist understanding reflected in your conduct at all times. Being under the influence of anything, cigarettes, alcohol, whatever it is, I just have not seen where that is helping us to think better and make great decisions to solve this problem, neutralize racist man, racist woman. Racist child, particularly if you're going to be in a vehicle, you want to be sober. You do not want to be in a car and have that be the day that you bump into Darren Wilson, Daniel Holtzclaw, any other race soldier badge or no. It can be a life ending, life altering situation quickly, like in a matter of seconds. Sobriety would be best. With that, thanks again for tuning in. Remain codified for the rest of the weekend. Creator, we ask that you help us Context of White Supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
8: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. (laughs)
2: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and
26: conditions. Eighteen plus.